And then we hook here. Now, oh, this come is a very on, man. This hurts already. Uh, it does, doesn't it? It <laughs> does. Look okay. at this. He's bragging. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, yeah. unfortunately, Thursday we lost uh, pro wrestling legend Lanny Poffo. Um, did you meet Lanny? Did you know Lanny at all? I met him um, a couple times, but I didn't know um, him very well. But I obviously knew of him, of his family, of Macho. And uh, it's sad. It, it just it feels like it's just tough because over the last couple of years, I feel like we've had more loss than my whole life, I think. So it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just different now. Like, I mean, everyone is hard, but it's just, wow, we lost another one. You know, it, and some, like the Briscoe one was just so tragic to me. It was hard to even look at yeah. just because of the family. And then um, it's just so out of nowhere. And But, you know, at the same time, you also kind of, you can't help but get, I don't want to say numb to them because they all hurt in different ways. But it's just like, you're not... Man, it's hard to get surprised by somebody dying uh, unless it's a Briscoe situation or something like that where it's just completely out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And they're young and able-bodied. But um, so I don't know. You know, it's like there's a callus developing. And then even before the last couple of years, just being involved with professional wrestling, you guys obviously know the history of it. And so you've seen a lot of people go. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things, man. You know, it just sucks. Another, we lost another one. And, you know, they never feel good. At this stage of your life, do you sometimes worry about the career choice you made? I mean, so many guys in your business just get cut short. Do you, do you ever worry no, about that? No, because I had one foot in and one foot out of the reckless kind of generate. I don't want to say reckless, you know, but like, you know, a lot of the, it was a completely different vibe when I first came in and, you know, the guys I grew up watching and stuff. I mean, it was much more of the rock star lifestyle is a much, a lot more reckless and some of them explained it to me like this it's like now we know that wrestling is here and it's going to live forever but back then they didn't know if it was going to be over tomorrow and that's the way they treated it and that's the way they live life but um so i saw that side of it but i also have seen the side now where you know we've all we've cleaned up professional wrestling we don't have all of these um issues we don't have people passing out you know in the locker rooms anymore and so and in you know, I followed suit, luckily, you know what I mean? Like, I had my um, early issues in my 20s and stuff like that, but now, I mean, um, you know, I barely even touch alcohol. You know what I mean? It's I'm not the – I wouldn't say I'm the picture of health, I, you know what I mean? But I'm not reckless anymore either. Like, I don't drink, I don't party, I take care of myself, and I think that um, – you know, some of those past decisions could have done me in, and, you know, knock on wood, I, I came out, luckily, without – any, I think, long-term da damage, at least not yet. There are wild, obviously, 80s and 90s rock star type stories involving wrestlers partying, the drugs, the women. What was, was, it, was it wild when you first got into the WWE scene? I mean, this is now the age of Cena and, mm -hmm. and Lesnar and Orton. 
Was it was it as crazy as? You no, know? it was nothing. Like, it was nothing like what you heard of the '80s and the '90s. But every once in a while, things got wild, and it was fun. And that's why I'm glad I got to see both because, um, and it was just very seldom. Like the wildest times I can remember in WWE, honestly, were you know sometimes the WrestleMania parties, but actually more specifically, it was the uh, the tribute, the the flight over to the tribute to the troops. I mean, we just got, I mean, you've heard some of the stories, like, mm. I mean, you know, just think about it, you know, flight, just wrestlers, you got cases of alcohol, and, you know, it was the only time I've ever seen Vince really let his hair down was on those flights, and it was just... So so you say that, so we, you know, obviously the, the plane ride from hell was on dark side of the ring. Yeah. In your moments on your your flights to Saudi... Uh, what like any any stories that happened on the I plane? Just, it was similar like... stuff, but it wasn't. It didn't sound so bad as like the the plane ride from hell because I don't know. Was that a that wasn't a commercial flight? That was literally just the wrestlers in the. It was a wrestler flight, flight and <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think neither Linda or Vince were on a flight, even though people try to report. You know, the, the things that stand out in my head from that um, were there were some things that were kind of sucked, but like. You know, there's a lot of funny stuff, you know what I mean? Like Vince instigating a, uh, a shoot wrestling match between CM Punk and Shelton Benjamin. And then it, it went, it actually went from Shelton Benjamin to Carlito because of some kind of cross drama there with Maria. So like, yeah, and then, you know, somebody sleeping on a hammock and getting their hammock cut. I'm not going to say any of the names uh, involved in that. And then... Well, go back to Punk. Like, did, did Benjamin just beat... Out of punk and punk just cried and said, uh, "Let me go. And let me sit out and eat popcorn." Man, I don't know how <laughs> serious. To, I mean, this is on one of those places. They don't even have a lot of room to work with. But right. I mean, from what I remember, I mean, I think they did grapple a little bit. But like, nobody's going to beat Shelton Benjamin. You know yeah, what I mean? really. Like, anyway, in that, and it basically was amateur wrestling too. So like, I don't know. And then you know, Vince. I mean, one of the funniest parts was I remember we were in Germany coming back from Afghanistan, and because we would stop there and. You know, we would stop at the base, and, man, there was this nice restaurant we'd go to, and everybody was drinking, and it just turned into this big karaoke thing, like, led by Vince. to the And they, he was having such a great time that, like, it was time to go, and the captain was ready and everything, and they were, like, threatening. Or, no, they, they wanted us to go, and Vince got so hot that he was, like, threatening to you know, buy the plane and all kinds, of, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, did right. not, he did not want to leave. And it was just like, I don't know. I just never seen it. <laughs> like, what, 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 was, what was it like uh, performing for the troops? What, what did it feel like? Was it special for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what you might've heard in terms of it being, um, it's not just people saying it for, because it sounds like the baby face thing to say it's, or actually this is what Vince said. And this will, uh, put it in perspective Vince would say oh before going there that the tribute to the troops is the biggest thing we do even I think over Wrestlemania which sounds crazy right you're like what's like because Wrestlemania is Wrestlemania but Mm -hmm. like when you actually go there and experience you understand what he's saying it's it's not that like Wrestlemania obviously is much more people and everything but it was a bigger experience than yourself is what it is you get there and you realize it doesn't matter how you feel about the war, politics, any of that. It's just, it's bigger than you. It's you performing for people who are doing tasks that are, you know, dangerous, sometimes mundane. And they're, it's, it's a different level of gratitude. Like when you wrestle for people and they enjoy it, that's great. But when you get real 
gratitude from people, which you every once in a while you see in the world. Like I go to certain places, like you know, and you'll, and that was one of them. Like the, the tribute to the troops, you could see how grateful they were to have us there, to have us perform, to have us to be able to meet us, and just to take them out of their everyday routine of what they were doing. So it was, yeah, it was every bit of all of that. What did Vince McMahon mean to you, Chris? I mean, how did you how did you look at Vince? Um... I, you know, the god of wrestling, essentially. I mean, and that's probably not the the best way to put it. You know what I mean? But it just it really is. I mean, he's the guy. He's and so when you when you perceive it like that, yeah, he can be a bit intimidating, and he's got a big presence, obviously. But um, I mean, yeah, he's just. Whether you love him or hate him, you know, when he, Vince had all these difficulties over the last half year and I'd do autograph signings and I'd hear fans kind of laying into him or, you know, just kind of wanting to discard him, I'd just be thinking to myself, like, even with my circumstances, like, and I don't have ill feelings or anything, like, things didn't go perfect when I was there, obviously, but um, to not at least, you know, he's given so much, whether, regardless of how you feel about him, I mean, a lot of all of our fandom is based on what, you know, he's given us as far as, you know, these classic, and, you know, I mean, and he gambled everything in WrestleMania 1 and 2 to make it work. I mean, I just can't, you know, he's just, he is the guy over, you know, you can put, say, Stone Cold Steve Austin, John Cena, Hulk Hogan. I mean, Vince is probably, Vince is up there alone, right? Yeah. Like, because what's the common denominator in all of that, all those guys? Vince. Yep. How do you feel about the allegations that were against him? Did it bother you, or could you not give? Uh, it's well. I mean, it sucks. I don't know. You know, when you hear all these allegations from all these wrestlers, all these the Me Too movement in general, it, it sucks to hear. But like, I will. <laughs> I mean, I was just relieved that I know that. You know, there's nobody that's going to come out of the woodwork and say that I did anything inappropriate. And if they did. They'd be completely full. Of there you go. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse on here. No, you can't. I, I, I looked at all this like, no. I looked at, I, I'm not going to say Vince's was surprising. I don't know if any of them were surprising because I've, you know, coming up in professional wrestling was a rude awakening to the real, realities of the world very quickly, just as far as how guys are and uh, whether you're in a family or not. And that's not all guys, obviously, but. It was, you know, it was a rude awakening to all that, and you know, to me again, it, it just it sucks. But it was like kind of nothing that I wasn't either kind of new or suspicious of. But again, I just looked at it like, all right, well, this ain't gonna be an issue for me. So I just watched. And, but I know, mean, you're a good-looking guy, right? And you're with this internal family, right? It, no. To me, it's kind of difficult not to get involved with someone. I would think. How were you able to stay away from it? If you did, I don't know if you did or not. Oh, you mean? Uh, well, that's is you talking about like getting involved I don't mean, with somebody. I don't mean sexually harassing someone, forcing someone. I'm saying actual relationship with another female. Well, no, it does. It happens a lot, but like it doesn't happen. Like you know, that doesn't mean everybody dates that somebody mm -hmm. within the business. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like there's, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who were have been in long term relationships with people in the business, and you know, I'm just kind of happy to say that I haven't, just because it seems like it would be. Uh, very difficult. It's difficult if you're in two different promotions for obvious reasons. And then it's difficult even if you're in the same promotion because mm -hmm. then you're now with that person all of the time. And I think that's a problem in itself because I think it's a healthy thing, obviously, to have 
sometimes. Like when I was on the road with WWE, it was difficult to be gone that long. Like I had a girl I got engaged to, but at the same time, it was almost like, man, every time I came home, it was like, it was so exciting. You know, you, you have time to miss the person and then you, you know, there's a lot to catch up on. And I don't know. So it's, you know, I always realized from that point, maybe it's not great to be gone four days, but it's good to have some time away. Uh, you were in the WWE at the same time as Ashley Massaro, correct? Yeah. Did you have a relationship with Ashley at all? I mean, relationship like as a friend? Did you yeah, know her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very nice. She okay. traveled with um, me and she rode with me and Orton a couple of times, just, you know. So, uh, you know, un unfortunately, she took her life, as we all know. Um, but there is a story about when she was in Kuwait that she claimed that she was sexually assaulted. Did she ever mention that to you or No, anybody? but we were you, I don't think we had a relationship where she would bring that up to me. We weren't, mm -hmm. like, close on that Were level. you shocked when you heard that story her, her, of her that allegations? Story, I don't remember the details of it now, but I have heard that story, and it was, um, it was a bit alarming that one and shocking to me like that one did surprise me but I don't I again I don't remember the details off the top of my head but I remember it's pretty awful whatever was said did you did you ever notice she was having these type of mental breakdowns or problems or she always seemed upbeat while no while but like it's uh, it's hard to tell sometimes you can't tell what people up there or you're so wrapped up in kind of what you're doing maybe or you know like you you really kind of put on a mask I think a lot of times when you're working there like you almost have to be uh I don't want to say you walk in and you be like, I have to be the masterpiece Chris Masters from the minute I go to leave, but you kind of have to, you know what I mean? Or at least you have to, um, you know, you don't always want to show vulnerability. You know what I mean? That's not always, especially in the locker room I came up in where it was guys who were, you know, not the video game generation that mm. we have now, but again, the more, the more rough yeah. kind of rough and tough, you know, pay your dues generation and, but when you reflect back, right, because you have this internal family, you talk, we talked earlier about Poffo and Briscoe, for example. Uh, do, you, do you think to yourself after you find out she took her life, like, man, did I not see something? Could I have helped her? Or is it like, hey, look, I didn't have that sort of relationship with her? Um, it was both. Both probably because, I don't know, I just don't think it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? It's hard to help somebody when, when they're having issues that are that deep. Um you know, you would have to really be close to that person to help them in that, you know what I mean? Like, and because, you know, they're not going to open up to you about stuff like that. So, like, I just don't feel like I ever got to a point where, you know, if me and Ashley were close enough then or, or a lot closer, then I would have felt exactly what you were saying. I felt like, man, why didn't I? But, like, I was just kind of never in a position to know that, like, oh, man, that she was really suffering from that. So I just, you know, I know that there's nothing – that I could have done. But, you know, if there, anybody that close to me did it, that was really close, that I, you know, you would almost hope that you would be able to see the signs. And that would only happen through being, having conversation or seeing that pe person every so often or, or whatever. How about Benoit? What'd you think about that? Did you see any signs with Chris Benoit? I, I don't think uh, it's a big problem saying this. I mean, I pretty much assumed right away that, Chris did what he did and it's not because he was a bad guy really but I just I couldn't see I was worried about it I didn't know for sure I was worried about it I didn't see what else could have happened I don't I didn't see somebody kind of just killing the whole family so I it was it was shocking and all I remember was hoping that it wasn't him who did it and then finding out the next morning it was him who did it and then just being like, and I just always kind of reflect back and, it, you know, 
instances like this have really shown me to trust my gut, especially now at this age. When I shook his hand, there was an intense energy to him that felt very uncomfortable to me. And I've now learned to trust this instinct like wholeheartedly, especially at this age now more than ever. Um, you know, it's not something anybody has to say to you or do. Sometimes you just feel a bad energy about somebody when they're in a room or, or whatever. There's an intensity about them. So there was this bad, bad energy you felt, felt from him. There was an intensity to him when I shook his hand and looked into his eyes that just made me, uh, I don't know, there were just questions like, whoa. Interesting. Like, whoa. That's crazy. And like, you That's know, cool. it, it's That's just overall. But I, like everybody else, I mean, man, you look at his, I respect his work and all of that. But sure. I just... But do you, th do you think when something happens like that, like, you know, you still see these wrestling fans, oh, I love Chris Benoit. Do you think at some point, like, when you do something like that, you've just washed away everything that was positive about you, period. Like, well, you respect his wrestling, has but... An asterisk. It's hard because now it's hard to talk about Benoit mm -hmm. without some degree thinking about all of this. Sure. Like, so, like, even if WWE hadn't wiped the history book of him, it doesn't matter because anytime we bring up uh, even Chris's work, you're just kill his family. Like it's yep. just, I yep. just don't think there's anything we can do about it. Like he kind of did it to himself through what he did where like yeah. you can't praise him without also like, it's like you can't like think about it. Anybody who brings up anything about him, it's like you almost feel like you can't without referring to, oh man, but you know, right. or at least even thinking it. Sure. Well, well, like, you know, and I'm again, he wasn't a bad guy, man. He seemed, it was just, there was an intensity to him. There was something missing. That was uncomfortable. And yeah. then, uh, so, and I'm not saying I encounter people like that all the time. It's just more, I've learned to trust my instincts on, like, if there's an energy about somebody that feels off, like, you know, even if they're nice to me, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll take a back step and so, all. So on the other end, and I'm not trying to compare this, but like you worked with John Cena, right? Which, you know, we consider probably one of the final all-time greats in the industry. Yeah. But again, we're yeah. just fans. We know nothing. What was your feeling when you met John Cena? And or is it true to the rumors that John would try to hold back people such as yourself because of your look and the possibility of you taking his spot? Uh, you know, I would have never thought that at the time. Like, cause I always, when at that time, I just was like, dude, you're the world champion. You're John Cena. Like, and even when I, people would say that about Hunter and I always thought the same thing. I was just like, man, you're Hunter. But it's, you look back at certain instances and you could kind of, you could make a case for that. But like, you know, still uh, in my mind, it still refers back to like, man, but you, or, you know what I mean? Like, what do you have to worry about? Because you've done so, I you know, you just, it's hard to look at some of the guys who've had that much success and think that they should worry about anybody. But, like, at the same time, you're almost being foolish to think that there's not some of that. And, like, if you read between the lines. And now, like, I can look back. It's funny because you get older and you do get smarter, man. Well, can you elaborate on an instance where, like, you're looking back, you go, wait a minute. Yeah, this guy did do this crap to me. Well, I don't... I don't want to create clickbait or anything. Like, I know you want me to. No, 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 specific. no. This is not this is not the game we played. I'm just wondering. But I, you know, I just you know I can know with Cena, for instance. But like you know, Cena also had reasons not to like me because I can understand. Like, we were very different. We were oil and um, water. I mean, he's a Massachusetts guy. I'm a California guy, and like, and also you know there were things about my work ethic. I'm sure that he um, questioned, and probably rightfully so at that point. You know what I mean? Like you know, because I've. Uh, 
you know, there are certain points where, you know, I've grown a lot and I can look back at myself sometimes and be like, oh, you know what I mean? There was a lot more you could have been given at certain times that you didn't, unfortunately. You know what I mean? So, but like at the same time, we still, we just didn't mesh. But like, you know, I just had a difficult time because I worked with HBK, who was my all-time favorite wrestler. And like, we worked so great together. And then I would f work with Cena around the same time and it would almost flip-flop, you know, I'd be in tag matches or singles. And it was just such a task with Cena though. And Cena would try to call me out for it. And I even remember Sean coming to my defense one time and being like, well, I had no problem with him, which I was like, thank you. But I think also a thing with Cena is, I think he's very, very, if you, even if you watch the show, he's very OCD. And like, I think he even got, and he would get like that in wrestling matches, especially if he wasn't working with someone that was better than him, like a Sean or a Triple H or something like that. So when he was working with me, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I could have a great match with Sean. Sean was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and he could work with anybody. But like with Cena, like, yeah, he had a little more experience than me, but not much. And yeah, he was over as hell, but his overness wasn't a reflection of where he was at in the artistry of professional wrestling right. yet. Sure. So yeah, like, you yeah. know, I don't want to say it was the blind leading the blind, but it was just like, you know, there was no Shawn Michaels in there to kind of, uh, you know, help things out when need be. And, and then with John Cena being that OCD. Right. You know. But what's so amazing, right? It's, 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 it's great that you say this, but it's like Shawn Michaels, who had this huge reputation of being probably one of the biggest pricks in the industry and would hold people down. You saw a different side of Shawn Michaels. You saw the change Shawn Michaels then. Oh, yeah. Thank God, because it would be so disappointing, you know, because, you know, you always hear the saying about you don't want to meet your idols and stuff. You know, I'm pretty I don't know what it would have been like to work, meet the first Shawn. And I can't even put wrap my head around that because that was the one. You know, I grew up idolizing that. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But I am happy that I was able to, um, the work experience I had with him was, like, so pleasant, man. Like, it was just, but I, I kind of threw it out there right from the get-go. Like, I let him know pretty early on that I was, a, he was my guy. And, you know, I think I resided some of his promos on him and stuff like that. And it was more just because I just wanted him to know, hey, if I say anything stupid, that might be, you know, because you're, when you're young at that age, there were a lot of little things there's an etiquette and there's a lot of little things that can get you heat, especially when you look the way I did and you're getting a push. And so, like, I would constantly find myself, like, stepping in my own, like, saying stuff that, you know, wasn't even that bad, but, like, you know, it rubs somebody the wrong way and gets you heat. So I was just, like, I just wanted to make sure with him, like, hey, you know, I didn't say literally this, but it was me kind of establishing, like, I have the utmost respect for mm. you. So if I do or say anything stupid, just know it's not – you know, you are my guy, you know, please just, you know what I mean? Just know that going into this. And, but like, we never had any issues, man. It was like so much fun. Like, I can't even tell you the different little challenges that I ended up having to um, go through working him. Cause we worked all over the world and there were always like various, like, I remember there was one match where uh, he, they kind of challenged me, him and Nate to not bump him, not even one time in the whole match. Oh, and this was funny. I remember walking into the locker room one time and Sean and Nate are dressing and I, and I walk into the locker room. I'm like, so we got a bump in HBK or non bump in HBK tonight. And Ric Flair just couldn't believe it. Like he was like, he, he was like dying laughing, but like, he was just, it was just more like how, like, cause he, I like, I'd work with both of them, but I don't think he hadn't heard, heard some of the one-on-one -on -one conversations I had with Sean, 
So it was one of those things like, you know, this freaking kid is talking to you like that? What <laughs> the heck? You know, he couldn't, and he made such a big word, big deal about it. But um, little things like that. And then I remember one time Sean's brace got, we were in Ireland, and his brace broke, his knee brace. So we had to work a match in Dublin, Ireland, where we didn't run him at all. And, like, the only time we ran him is that one little sequence for the flipper, you know, the reverse. And uh, and then, you know, a, another thing was just, you know, it got to the point pretty early on where Sean just let me kind of be the quarterback of the match and call the whole match, which was crazy. I mean, you know, like, it, I couldn't even really – it was hard to call the match without phrasing it every kind of thing I'd call it in the form of a question because of who he was. Right. But, like, man, you know, so, I mean, you couldn't ask. If you were to work with your childhood hero, you couldn't ask for a better work experience. We have the iconic Chris oh Masters in studio. And, boy, I got to tell you, I want to thank all the fans who have donated. Uh, the Pharaoh will be, be attempting to break out of the Master Lock Challenge, and all donations are going to the St. Jude Children's Hospital. First off, I gotta say, Chris, hold you're huge. Uh, you know what, you don't realize how huge you are stand up, right? until uh, you stand uh, up, holy cow. Yeah, people just don't realize, six foot four, 260 pounds still. So, I mean, you know, it's what and pro wrestlers are supposed to th weigh and Thank you, oh. sir, and that's why I never, I love you in NWA, and I never want to see you in AEW. I want to see you either WWE or stay in the NWA. But first off, the Pharaoh's been good enough to accept the challenge. He will try to break out of the Master Lock Challenge. But before we get to it, got to ask you a question. Being an old-school wrestling fan, right, and you loved wrestling, do you remember the Cobra Clutch Challenge? Oh, boy. Back in oh, the with day. Oh, so, uh, With Slaughter. Slaughter. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, uh, that's one of, probably one of my oldest memories. I, so I always wish the Master Lock Challenge was going to get to that level. Was that the plan behind the Master Lock Challenge? Was to have you weekly, like, constantly put down guys until you just get into that big feud with the guy who finally breaks it? Uh, I'm not sure, honestly. I don't know if in our day and age we could have drawn it out that long because I think it went a good year and a half or something without getting broken, which already seemed like a long time at that point. But, you know, I did a lot of stuff to derail. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got you. Like, a lot happened in, in that, that block of time, so it could have gone any which way, I imagine. Well, I want to remind you, Chris, and I don't want to put a lot of pressure on you, Ugh. but if my partner, who I love dearly, <laughs> breaks yeah. out of this, love dearly. your career is over. It's done. And I'm going to have to call you and hire you at my place. What are you so doing? you got one okay, choice. No, 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 I'm leaving the country. What, what You're leaving. The, so it's I'm either break them in half. I know there's I'm, money on the line for children, but it's either break them in half or lose your career. Do it I'm, for the kids. I'm going to go to Southern Africa or All right, Farrow, are you ready? The Master Lock Challenge. Okay, so this is. Uh, we're gonna go through this step by step, though, right? Go so ahead. We've got him placed. Uh, we've got our oh. victim in the chair. Fix yes. him, like so. <laughs> what the? Now he's already not starting this out, right? He's got what? a hat on. Sunglasses. Uh, it's already put it. Chris, he's already disrespecting. No, but I'm just Jeez. saying it puts you. You're at vulnerability. Hey, there's your hat. Hold on, it's your hat. He's getting rid of everything. Now. Okay, you don't gotta get rid of anything else. Yeah, so right. Stop there. <laughs> Are you sure? Wait a second. No, 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 no. You kind of put together kind of well. No, no, no. You keep that on. You keep that on. We're good there. Okay. So this is no fun at all. This is a very important point. Okay, so we, we hook under here. Oh, Jesus right. Christ. We hook oh, boy. here. 
And then we hook you. Now, oh, this is a very important It hurts already. I th- it does, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Look okay. at this. He's bragging. But here's what's important. Oh, you got to hook the fingers Jesus like this. God almighty. Wow. You can't just interlace them. So you got to hook Wait, hold like on. My this. beer gut. My beer gut. Oh, Wait. boy. And <laughs> let's go ahead and stand Jesus. up. Go ahead and stand up. <laughs> All right. There we go. Get out. All right. Yeah, we're good. Get out. Dude, we're good. What you do? We're good. I guess we're not good. See that? You just push the head forward, and it cuts off blood flow to the head. And what happens is they start to pass out slowly but surely, and turn this color purple. That tends to be a bit disturbed. And this is the point. Yep. See, you don't hear much. You finished them. Got very quiet. Wow. Wow. in the discus in the whole country and he and i placed first and second at the texas state track meet in austin in the discus first and second and then i placed third in the shot put my senior year and got a, a four-year scholarship to the university of texas arlington where i was conference champion four times in a row there oh my won my conference division one a wow. i mean division one so there is something to be said for shot put. I got to admit, we don't. When I hear shot put, we don't even think about shot put as just you know involving sports here in New York. All we think of them the four major sports. That's pretty cool that you got yeah. a four-year scholarship and you were one of the best in the nation. That's crazy. When when you bring well, that up, the, good. Now when I we Carrie and I played running back and linebacker in high school, and okay. I had gotten a concussion uh, my junior year. And I'd gotten my bell rung my senior year, and the doctors were saying, man, you probably should kind of stay away from this heavy contact, you know, football. So I was was already throwing the shot put, but my senior year, I just really threw a long way and got national recognition. So it uh, kept me out of football, basically. So I got that scholarship over there. Were you disappointed to not be going further with football because of the concussions? No, I didn't. Okay. I was I was never going to be a, a professional football player, or you know, I would have been a, a decent college player, but I had no aspirations to play. I wasn't fast enough. I didn't have a fast enough forty time to play in the pros, so I never saw myself as a as a college or uh, pro football player. I just. Uh, Stumbled into the shot put and was really good at it, and the discus as well. And uh, just uh, it, it it paid off. Now, did 
didn't Kerry make the Olympic team uh, in discus? He was working. We graduated in 1978, and then I went to UTA. He went to the University of Houston for one year, his freshman year, and uh, he was working toward the 80 Olympics. And if you recall, they boycotted the Olympics in 1980. So he, he said, to heck with it. I don't want to wait another, you know, four years for the 84 Olympics. So he left the University of Houston and started wrestling full time. So, you know, you grew up with Kerry, like you said, uh, you know, um, seems like you guys ran down the same roads, kind of doing the same sports. Uh, obviously, Kerry was hitting the gas pretty hard. Were you involved in hitting the gas at all back at that age, or did you stay completely natural? I stayed natural. I did a little bit of stuff in college with a shot put because they had to be so strong, but I never... I never stayed on anything uh, for any period of time because I knew that's that's short lived. You know, man, you hit the sauce that much, it's there's going to be it's going to affect your body. And now then, you know, I'm 63 years old, man. My I just had my heart checked out, and the guy that had all the did the uh, uh, sound. What is that called? Ultrasound. Yeah, cardiograms and all that, mm -hmm. but uh, my I'm in perfect shape. They said, man, you're like you're 30 years old, so I'm glad I didn't do the roids and stuff and stay on them heavy, heavy. That's me right there. I was like, uh, that was like three three years ago. That's wow. Wow. When I was Damn. 60. Yeah. Incredible. After further review, I want to be your age if I'm going to look like that. <laughs> That's good. Wow. After further Damn, review. Damn, Brian. <laughs> Uh, Brian, I got to ask you though. I mean, growing up with Kerry, and obviously you guys were best buds, and you see Kerry ballooning into a statue. Did you try to tell him, like, um, bro, this might not be the best thing. You look great, but this this might be bad for you. Well, here's the thing that a, a lot of people, I, I know y'all probably know a little bit about it too. Kerry trained harder than anybody I've ever seen. You can't just do some roids and mm -hmm. be big. He right. trained harder than any professional bodybuilder that I've ever seen. He was a workhorse, man. So, and he didn't do them all the time. You got to realize where okay. he came from. Chris okay. Von Eric, when he was younger, he was a, a mountain of a man too. So his genetics, he was. you know, as far as, uh, he just trained harder than than the rest of the the brothers did, and right. you know it's not it wasn't all it wasn't all roids. Kerry trained super super hard to get that body. It that's just actually, you just that's actually really good to do know. Some roids that's and cool. look like that. Yeah, that's yeah, a lot of work. He might have had the greatest physique we've ever seen, right, Mike? I mean, I, I mean, Kerry Von Erich, you absolutely love. I know that yeah. much, but he might have had the greatest physique we've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Very close, if not the best. So Brian, hanging out with the at the Von Eric house, like you said, it was like Disneyland. Um, was there any jealousy on your part uh, being around that family all the time? Absolutely not. They uh, they. How about some stories? If you have some of a couple of a uh, couple of other uh, legends from that area that left us too soon. Uh, Gino Hernandez, Chris Adams, any uh, stories about those folks? 
Oh, yeah. Gino was a great worker. So was Chris. Uh, yeah, it was. Gino was kind of a shock. You know, they found him over there and in his apartment. You know, he was he was dead. And, you know, Chris was kind of got in trouble. You know, Chris was a drinker and kind of a blackout drinker. He had gotten, I think he was had some uh, legal trouble when he got, uh, you know, killed. He was basically living with a guy that was, the guy was letting Chris live with him, and they were drinking and got to wrestling, and it got serious, and Chris put him in a chokehold. And uh, the guy's name was Boudreaux, and uh, Boudreaux, told me, he said, man, I was getting, Chris wasn't letting me out of the chokehold and I was getting ready to pass out. And I knew he was not going to let go because he was mad. The The play turned into a real fight and they fell back up against the, the headboard on the bed and the guy had a holster with a 357 in it and he grabbed and grabbed that gun and he was put it on Chris's leg. He was going to shoot him in the leg to uh, get him off of him and right when he pulled the trigger they moved and it went right up through Chris's torso through his heart and killed him so uh, that was tough too because I'd worked with Gino and Chris a lot too and they were both just really really good workers they were mainstays here at world class you know I gotta ask you while I have you because I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't ask you since you knew the Von Erich family so well I always felt that David was destined for great, great things, and I feel that he was the the greatest of the Von Erichs. I mean, ultimately, Kerry uh, is probably the most famous of them, but I feel like David was cut short. Was David headed for serious world championship uh, aspirations? Because I felt he, he had the real total package as a professional wrestling product. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Everybody will tell you David was the best worker by far. David understood the business, the psychology of the business. He was going to take over world class. He was going to step into Fritz's place because David had a business head on his shoulders and knew, understood the business really, really well. And that really changed him passing away, changed the course of what happened with world class tremendously. So, yeah, it was David was the was the worker. I watched David work. He could work, man, and he had the he had the business sense. And not that Kerry and Kevin didn't, you know, but he was the one that was going to take it over and run it. Can I ask you about when David passed? Again, we're just fans. We don't know anything. You hear so many different stories. One being the abrasion, and then one being that he OD'd on drugs. Do you know anything behind the passing of David? I do not. I don't know anything other than what everybody else, what's been written or whatever. Uh, I know when he left, he was having some trouble with his stomach. I don't know if he had uh, what was wrong with his stomach, but he had complained that his stomach was hurting before he went on that trip. So uh, it would be conjecture on my part to say what happened because I wasn't there. But, you know, they say he, he died of uh, enteritis. I think he had some type of intestinal problem and uh, 
that's all that's all I know. Uh, I didn't hear anything else or so, you know what all the rumors, but that's it's like I said, it'd be conjecture on my part. You on a personal basis, right? You guys are all rock stars in Texas at this point, and now worldwide you're becoming rock stars. You know, clearly drugs was a big part in the industry, just not in Dallas, but all over the world, right, yeah, for, yeah. The, for, for you as a wrestler. How did you stay out of that game and survive? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm no saint, you know, and I'm not going to portray myself as a saint. I had my, you know, I had my bouts with alcohol and, uh, you know, prescription drugs and stuff like that and, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, you work so hard and you travel so much. I think with me, I kind of, it was kind of like a, when I had some time off, it was like I, I, I treated myself to, you know, something uh, to maybe escape some of the pain or escape reality or whatever you're wanting to do. But, uh, I, you know, like I said, I, I'm no saint, but I... I woke up one day and it's been, man, it's 23. Uh, I haven't taken anything other than what a doctor has described me since May 10th of 1993. I've been over 30 years now. Awesome. Going clean and sober with absolute 100%. Tell us about the Freebirds and how was Michael Hayes? Is he full of himself because he really ruined this poor guy when he ran into him in an airport. How was Michael Hayes in the Freebirds? <laughs> he was, he, Michael, uh, Michael, you know, lived his gimmick, which really, if you don't live your gimmick, you're selling yourself short. So I agree. Every professional wrestler has to have a, a bit of being full of himself. Yep. Because if you don't, if you don't understand, if you can't separate your personal life and your business life, you're a, you're basically a product, and the way you market yourself, the way a corporation would market uh, a product, you're selling yourself short. You know, uh, I acted completely different on TV as Brian Diaz as I did. People, I've always had everybody that's ever met me say, "Man, you're one of the most intelligent, you know, nice and you know guys I've, I've ever met." Because you can't, I can't go out and, you know, talk shit to people and, you know, be Brian Adias all the time. So when people met me, I wanted to, I wanted to be impressive as a human being, you know, and not be all that. But when I was, when I was in, when I was at a wrestling arena or something, I was in, I was certainly in character and you have to be, but yeah, Michael, Michael was had a strong, you know, personality and he lived the business. He's done well for himself. You know, he's up WWF Vince's office and one of his right hand guys. So he's done he's done something right, man. So he's Michael's a smart guy too. So it, I always Michael and I always got along good. I, I had a lot of respect for him and Terry and you know Buddy. They were the Freebird Von Eric feud was is still talked about today, and it oh was yeah. it was huge. God, were you ever angry at the way? Some of them passed away, obviously. I mean, did you ever get angry about it? Like, what the? I don't know if, if anger is the, is the right way to put it. I was, I've, you know, suicide, 
you, you don't ever know what's going on in somebody's head. I found that out with Carrie because I was with Carrie the day before he committed suicide. But to answer your question, I don't think I was ever angry. I guess I was, you know, like your mom used to tell you, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Okay. Uh, I was disappointed that they took their life. And, you know, Carrie had two girls that were six and eight years old, and they just idolized him. And he loved, you know, Holly and Lacey. I mean, like, it was, that was their world, you know, uh, the girls and him. He loved those girls. And it was, uh, I guess I was, I was a little bit, I guess you could say angry with Carrie that leaving those two girls behind than I was of him taking his own life. And you, you mentioned you were there the day before. Did he not give you any signals at all? No. Nothing. And I knew, I knew Carrie better probably than hmm. I'd spent more time with him growing up, you know, and he did not. I, that's when I tell everybody, you never know what's going on in somebody's head, and you just don't because he didn't act like anything was wrong. Yep. He didn't have anything telling me, you know, hey, things are tough or anything like that. He just, I was shocked when he did it, you know. it's uh, uh, I just, I was driving down the road, and I heard it on the radio, and oh. it was, uh, was what was weird. I was like a mile from the exit where they live out in the country, and I, I pulled down there, and Fritz was there, and all the cops were there. And they had Carrie covered up with a tarp, you know, and it was, it was surreal. It was, uh, I still think about it. I still think about him. It's hard, hard for me to believe that he took his own life like that. It, it, it's, it wasn't easy, you know. So I don't want to glaze over it though, but you did say. You weren't so shocked about Chris and Mike. Why was that? Uh, they were just, uh, I think both of them spent their life trying to measure up. And I think they always felt like they might not have measured up and they like they weren't good enough or something like that. And, you Pressure. Know, they were, you know, it just... I guess overall, it just didn't surprise me as much with Mike being going through the toxic shock. You know, his his he had a temperature of a hundred and seven for like for a, two days or something, and they thought he was never going to make it. And then he pulled out of it. But him not being the same, it didn't surprise me as much as if that would have never happened. Mm. And Chris kind of had his own little his own little issues and stuff. You know, Chris was 10 years younger than Carrie and I, but uh, they just, I, I, I kind of look at Carrie, David, and Kevin on one level, and then Mike and Chris, not that they're below or anything. It's just, they were just different. They didn't, you know. Now, you have this relationship with Fritz. He's like your second father. At this point, after Carrie takes his life, the family's in disarray. Do you go to Fritz and have a conversation with him to see if he's okay? Is there any kind of conversation, or is at that point Fritz done? Oh, I like I said, I heard it on the radio, and I drove. I was three minutes away from where it happened, and I drove over there, and I talked to Fritz then, and I, I talked to him later as well. 
But uh, I don't think Fritz ever, I don't think he ever really gave up. He was a strong-willed man, you know, and uh, I, I felt more, my mom and I always talked about, you know, Doris, their mother, you know, what, what she went through. There's nothing like a love that a mother has for their children. And she lost five out of six kids. Mm -hmm. Jackie, the oldest boy that was older than Kevin, he was killed in a freak accident in Buffalo, New York when he was six in like 1958 or 59. And, and then, you know, David, Mike, Chris, and Carrie, five out of six kids. And I was, I, I had more compassion and empathy for Doris than I did, uh, you know, Fritz. I think Fritz could take care of himself. He was, he's a pretty strong, strong-willed guy. And, you know, we had conversations though, but it's, he didn't like, he didn't give up on life or nothing. So, uh, you know, he got, he got brain cancer, passed away in 97, but he was, uh, he was pretty much the same, you know, till he died. I used to go over there and see him, uh, was on that same property where Carrie killed herself, where where he lived, you know. So, but he was a he was a strong guy, and uh, let's bring part of the mat. Part of the mat, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, they do these old mats. That's that's, that's smart, they, right? They come in the car. It's okay. Uh, SummerSlam. broke his knee. That might have been SummerSlam 07, yeah. Is that before? No, he's all, he's trying to be a gorilla for a really long time. <laughs> so, yeah. Ray, if you're watching, you're still not a gorilla, bro. I know you keep trying to be a gorilla, and you're like, hey, and your, your son might be a gorilla. Oh! Dom, Dom may have gorilla blood in him. Uh oh! Uh -oh. <laughs> face, man. There you go. Travel keeping everyone entertained. Ryan, <laughs> check that out. <laughs> oh man, McWhittle. McWhittle wants a little Lieutenant Loco love uh, to, okay. to Andrew. To Andrew. In any color. Yeah, white or pop. Steve says he's trying to figure out how you age better than our truth. Our truth doesn't age. You're yeah, well, well, so he's, he's putting you I'm over. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, big shout out to you. Thank you very much for that. Andrew, Lieutenant Loco. <laughs> then our truth. I love that. I'm going to tell Big Ronnie next time I see him. <laughs> I look better than you, son. Coming up. Bobby T, we're going to get this done for you, you wacky man. Uh, in any color that pops, this won't be personalized, but he wants four-time WWE Cruiserweight Champ. Okay, any color. Any color that pops, so that's a paint pen. He says something you can see from across the room. So maybe not white, actually. Because okay. he always goes something bright, as if he was colorblind, I guess. Okay. Uh, and what's, what's this one for? Four-time WWE Cruiserweight Champ. Four-time WWE Cruiserweight Champ. Okay, so. 
I did, Jan. Yep, we, we got your program earlier, actually. I got a couple of cards left for you that we'll be getting through in the next 40 minutes or so. Missy wants to know, when was the last time you, you've been to North Carolina? To North Carolina? Wow, yeah. It's been a minute. That has definitely been a minute. Um, probably maybe like an independent show. Probably three or four years ago. It's been a minute. But um, I do like North Carolina. We got to get traveling to North Carolina. Flair country. They'll be calling it Guerrero country when you're done with it. All right, all right. I think that, but it's, you know, we all know it's Flair country. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota, check that out. Four-time Cruiserweight champ. Excuse me, I'm the Bobby T. It's not Dakota. We had to have a question. Uh, what's a funny road story that you can share? That's a Brandon. Funny road, funny road story that you can yeah, share. You know, I've really said a lot of the ones that we can say on TV or TV on camera, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but funny road story. Um, hmm. You know, we were on the road so much. And we were, the, the reason why. Um, Russell Rim a lot is because we're on the road so often and we're always trying to just keep each other entertained. So I do remember playing golf and I, I, I think it was like in upstate New York one time and it was with me, Eddie, Brian Adams, Russell, uh, Brian Nobbs, the Nasty Boys, one or two other people. And they just punched the greens. So if anybody knows what golfing is, they, they kind of aerate the greens. They call it punching the greens. So there's a bunch of holes on the greens. So you're, you know, it sucks for playing golf. It, you know, two weeks later, it looks great because of the grass goes. But when they first do it, you know, it sucks to, to putt on that. But um, I remember Brian, Brian Adams, who was Crush, also part of Chronic. One of the funniest guys in wrestling. He didn't really seem like that. I've, heard, I've he heard that from a few of the boys, yeah. One of the funniest guys in wrestling. And one time, Brian Nobbs is putting on the punch green, and he goes, hey, Brian, this reminds me exactly like your ass, because <laughs> all the dimples on there. That's hysterical. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, there you go. That's, your, that's the answer to your question. That's a funny road story, Brandon. That one I can tell. That, exactly. It's a funny road story that you can tell. Yeah. Tim, we got, we got your AEW flag. Of course. Yeah, we can. We can. We. You know what? Let's do silver over here. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, I think maybe over here, or over here. Check that out, Tim. And then, Mike, we're gonna get your ECW flag right after that. All right. Tim Chavo Guerrero Jr. Right there. On your all elite wrestling flag that you got from us. AEW son. And now, little ECW love. Oh, right, cool. Maybe, maybe somewhere right over there, Chavo. This is for you, Mike. This is your ECW flag. There. All right. Check that out. ECW. There it is. Thank you, Mike. What's a funny ECW 2.0 memory you can share? You have the title there. You had the quick WrestleMania match with Kane, but they were building it up. You know, that, that was, people well, forget. That, that probably that, wasn't supposed to be that no, quick. Well, this was it. We were, they were building that match. And what happens when we get to WrestleMania, 
they start, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the contracts start coming through. So let's say they're trying to sign Snoop Dogg. Well, sometimes that won't come through until the day before, the day of sometimes. So they have to, times change all the time. They're constantly changing um, the, even though they may have the card set two weeks before or a month before, the day that it gets to WrestleMania, things change a lot. So we were, we had, a, me and Kane had a match on, on, on EC, on WrestleMania. We had a great run going. We, we, we had a really good chemistry in, in the ring. So then, about a week before, they sort of shuffled things around and we weren't on WrestleMania. So me and Kane went to Vince McMahon and said, hey Vince, we had a meeting with him in his office and said, if we're not on WrestleMania, this championship doesn't mean anything. And Vince was like, you're right, you're right. Okay, you guys are definitely on. So the week before we had, you know, like eight minute matches, eight minute match. When we got to WrestleMania, Vince called us in and goes, guys, I have to cut time, cut time all over the place. I even cut time from the from the main event and here shuffling times around. So he goes, you know, I can only give you guys two minutes. What am I, two minutes? What are we gonna do in two minutes? No one remembers a two minute match in, in at WrestleMania, nobody. So we're like, well, what if we say we can do this in, you know, 10, 20 seconds? And he was like, what? What, that's great, how can you do that? So we kind of like, uh, you know, a collaboration between all three of us figured it out and that's how it happened. So Kane won the Invitational Battle Royal to face the ECW champion. So I didn't know who I was going to face until it was Kane. And then when I got I did my whole entrance and I'm watching for Kane and I don't see him anywhere. He pops up behind me, beats me in eight seconds. If it was that, I'm like, it's exhausting. So, um, I had my gripe saying we cheated. I'm, he kept, I was coming down the ramp, and what other match, what other sport could someone just appear? I'm not saying it's not jump somebody, but actually beat them for a title. Oh, this shouldn't be even, uh, shouldn't even gone through. He cheated 100%. He didn't want to face me straight up because he knew I knew I could have beat him. Vince loved it. We ended up doing it. And to this date, that eight seconds, that was the most I ever got paid for one match. It's true. Totally true. By the second, if you want to break it down. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, it was the most I got paid for one match. It was. It was. It was a lot. And thank you, Jim Ross. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was for that. And if you break down the second, it was, it was pretty lucrative. Substantial. <laughs> Boom. Look at that. That looks beautiful. Ty, I know you're going to like that. Uh, we can use that same blue paint pen, Chavo. So uh, the request is, this is the history of SmackDown book. Four-time cruiserweight champ. You beating up on, uh, on Ray. I still, to this day, people come up to me and say, I hated you for... Putting Ray out, like putting Ray out. So I was on a plane, the first season of Young Rock, we filmed it in Australia because COVID had shut down in Hollywood. <clears throat> and I'm on a plane, I sit next to Brett Azar, who's obviously playing the Iron Sheik, he looks just like yeah, him. Yeah, sure. He's got the, the mustache and stuff. So we're in first class, I sit there, I look at him, I say, hey, are you, are you in Young Rock? And he's like, he's like yeah, yeah. 
plate on her sheet. Oh, great. So we started talking. So he had neurosis for me. He said, oh, great. So we talked for about 15 minutes. And then he goes, uh, did you used to be a wrestler? And I said, yeah, I was a wrestler. He's like, uh, what was your name? I said, well, I was for WWE. My name was Chavo Guerrero. And he went, oh, my God. He goes, I, I didn't recognize you. He goes, I hated you. I effing hated you is what he said. He said, I used to pray nightly for your death. Oh, you put Rey Mysterio out. He goes, I get it now. He goes, but I literally hated you. He's like, I didn't even recognize you. I didn't put two and two together. He's like, what the heck? So that was a pretty cool story. Well, you know what? The, the, I remember that that beatdown and in this in that era there weren't beatdowns like that. That was a bad beatdown where you really got a lot of sympathy on Ray because of how vicious it was. The yeah. Vicious stuff wasn't really done a lot. So like one of my regrets and Bruce Pritchard was right. Um, I was hitting him with a chair. Hanging him down. I was hitting him with a chair and I was hitting him and I was going to hit him again. He says I quit, I quit, I quit because he's a quitter. And I went to go hit him, and, and I was like, yeah, and I raised my hand. And Bruce said, like, you know what you should have done? You should have raised your hand, you should have turned back to him, and hit him again. And I said, ah, oh, you're right. But there's a, a lost opportunity. Ray may have it coming, though. You heard that, Ray? Watch out. There could be a chair. Uh, look, I got to tell you this. I just don't understand why... Ray Mysterio still has to look. We all love Eddie, but we're not going out with his gimmick and, and our gimmick. I mean, our gimmick it was Los Guerreros' gimmick, and coming out to Los Guerreros, we lie, we cheat, we steal, uh, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, keep your name's memory right." I said, "No, dude, you're you're you're." I'm tired of people. That's the truth. This is not a bitter thing. This is true. I'm tired. We worked hard for that last name. We worked this whole family really, really hard to keep that name, to get that name to where it was. And we're tired of people um, prostituting it, in a sense, and using it for their benefit. So, Ray Mysterio, I'm sorry that no one knows who Ray Mysterio Sr. is. <laughs> no one knows who he is. And I'm sorry that you have to latch on to the Guerrero family. And we're just kind of tired of it. So... Thank you for keeping Andrew's name alive. Thank you for keeping your name alive. But we don't need you. We're good. You know what I'm saying? With the way Chavo looks right now, WrestleMania next year, Chavo Ray, who do, who wouldn't want to see that one one more time? He, um, I don't think Ray could pull a camp to me right now, to be honest. <laughs> okay, boom. Anthony, check that out. Man, always, always a good pleasure, to see my you. man. All right, Farrell, Madonna is back at home and feeling better after emergency hospitalization. Madonna is back home and feeling good as she recovers from the bacterial infection that led to her emergency hospitalization. Oh, thank goodness. I was worried. I'm such a big Madonna fan. I'm, I'm thrilled. Would she fly in five doctors from five different nations to make sure that her... Care was taken. I, what am I going to worry about, Madonna? She don't worry about me. Why? If he, if Madonna would have turned around and not made it, yeah, that would not affected you. Not the least. Really? I'm a metalhead from the '80s. I don't care. She's still not. I'm an mean. She's not an icon. I'm just fucking around. Of course she's an icon. She's a legend. Right. Of course she is. You know, I was thinking. How did this... I was thinking when I read the article. I yeah. was like, Singing is no, and acting is no different than wrestling. Right. She just took the name Madonna. Right. 
That's her now a name. That's like right. We used to make fun of Warrior for taking Warrior and making it his name, but what's the difference? Dude, there is no difference. Prince became a symbol. Don't even call me a name. Exactly. I'm a symbol. Exactly. I can't pronounce a symbol. I mean, what do you, what do you do with that? <laughs> what do you do You're with right. that? I, uh, call me symbol. But then when records weren't selling, then he became Prince. Well, again. yeah, you know, he back he to back to being Prince. He yeah, it. yeah, he took that little red Corvette, shot straight down to the trademark uh, office, and went back to Prince. Do you think if Sky yeah. Blue becomes famous, she'll name like make her name Sky Blue? Yeah, and she'll have a child named Sun Yellow. <laughs> it's great. That's just great. I just don't. I, it's don't, a mess. I don't know where to go. Well, with that. are you? You must be. You're, are you a Madonna fan? You are, right? I'm a huge Madonna. You fan. are. Right. There's one song I th I think I like from her. One song. One. Which one would that be? I like Into the Groove because I like the bass line. That's a great. It's a great bass line. Yeah, that's a great song. But in general, yeah. Dude, name me some songs. I'll tell you if I like them. I don't know, like a Virgin. That's ridiculous. I can't stand it. And I like Like a Surgeon much more from Weird Al. Go ahead. Oh, really? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's sexier too when he's doing the, uh, you know. Uh, you know. Hold on. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, or am I? I? Wait a minute. Hold on. We're gonna do this real quick. What? Madonna's greatest hits? Top hits. Oh, she's got a million. I'm sure. She's a superstar. Right, like a prayer. Nah. Into the groove. That's great. Vogue. No. No. And don't say holiday either. Holiday. No. Open your heart. No. Open no. your heart. No. Really? No. Who's that girl? Oh, God, you're killing me. No. Like a prayer. No. Justify my love. No. I give up, man. Yeah, I'm uh, telling you. Holiday. No. Nope. Jimmy. What? Jimmy. I like Janis Joplin. I don't like Madonna. Don't okay, you see where I'm going on. with this? What would you like? First of all, Janis Joplin had don't you, don't. two decent songs. Janis Joplin had an amazing soulful blues voice that was killer, okay? Nowhere near Madonna. Oh no, you're right because Madonna can't touch Janis Joplin. Oh, come you're on. Right. Stop it. You're right. You're I out agree. of control. No, I'm not. I can't wait to talk to yeah. our guests. Madonna wouldn't have been invited to, to the Monterey Pop Festival, I'll tell Dude, you that. you can't uh. if you're going to take up women great great women singers, Janis Joplin, she Stevie is not Nicks, there. Grace Slick, uh, those to me are great. First of all, I'm going to even go what? on record to say Christy McVie was a better Christine? singer than Stevie Oh, she had a smooth Smooth voice, but Chris, Stevie Nicks has the magic. I'm sorry. Well, I'm she also sorry. has Mick Fleetwood writing for her. What? She also had Mick Fleetwood writing Yeah, could you for picture her. Christine McVie singing some of the songs that Stevie sang, though? Stevie's great. Get out of town. Stevie's great. Yeah. And if you were to challenge Madonna with Stevie Nicks, mm -hmm. I would I could, I could, would definitely say if we went head-to-head. -head, yeah, Stevie Nicks. We did head-to-head with out singers. Out of the water. But Goodbye. Janis Joplin? No, bro. Janis Joplin was one of the greatest blues singers ever, men included. Men included. Robert Plant, as a matter of fact, pops some stuff. Everybody from out Janice. there, I love you guys, but this is what I call Pharaohism. I'm, I'm a rocker. He will stick to I, his I know rules I'm right. of Pharaoh, I'm a rocker. even when care. he truly doesn't believe oh, it I, inside I, his well, heart. Well, if you're asking me who was a bigger star, then it's obviously Madonna. I'm not stupid. But. Who's a better singer, in my opinion? It's not even close. It's an insult to Janis Joplin. Watch Ball and wow. Chain from wow. Monterey Pop Festival, 1967, and tell me that that's not a pair of pipes. You don't even know I, the song, wait, so on, you can't on. say nothing. I didn't say Janis Joplin wasn't a good singer. All I'm saying is she was okay. Ugh. She was okay. Okay, you're tone deaf, but anyway. If you just want to sit there and scream in a microphone. If that's how you look at high it. High on heroin. I don't know what that's Well, time. you know, high on heroin. Federal judges. You're right. Yeah, God, they were it. Friggin', how awesome they were was it. he, man? 
I, I got fantastic. Tell you, a huge fan of his. Who else we got from WCCW? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. We got to get you know what. Gotta start uh, taking a look. Well, that was a home Tatum run. He was on, great. Tatum, Tatum, like didn't show up, right? No. We've had so many great Tatum stars, got but I got to tell you something. For, for me, that was a super entertaining interview. That was fantastic. It and really look what this was. guy made out of his life too. After wrestling. You know what, though? I mean, it's amazing. As a human being, I give him so much credit. He watched that whole family leave him. Yeah. How do you? How do you? I can't even. Testament to him. It really is. He's an amazing individual. That and by was, the way, that was with great. all due respect, his wife was smoking hot. Was she? Oh I missed God. the whole thing. Dude. Why didn't you have a pop in so we could wave and I was say hi? Ask. I missed the whole thing. I didn't know. Like, look, some guys get weird. Like, you get weird. If someone thinks your girl's hot, you get old. Like, I get weird? Yeah, you go, you know, talking about my girl. You know what I mean? I do? Yeah, you, you, you're, you're a bit jealous. Well, no, you tend to, like, you know, hammer on. That's the problem. Well, oh, your girlfriend's a big. But whatever. I I would have I would have you know I would have said hey you know yeah. She's hot. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I, I got I don't know what else to say. She was hot. Oy, oy, oy. And I'm not being disrespectful. I don't think you are. I'm you, just you kept it clean. She's smoking. Yeah, and I only cursed right Sorry at the beginning of the show. Everything was clean after that. You're doing well. Stephen Wilde. This may be a problem though. <laughs> it's going to stay on a little longer. I wanted to cover something with you. I thought it was oh, pretty important. Right? Okay. So can't man, go home yet, Abe. Man, talk Abe. Up. Mantor passed away last week, right? Yeah. Mike. Right, Mike, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I guess everybody's aware that Eric Sims, we have a relationship with him, right? <coughs> Eric's an agent. He travels with the wrestlers. In fact, I think he was just down in Texas with Brian, and he did like a, uh, you know, like a mass signing. Cool. Down there. Very cool. So anyway, man, Mike, I shouldn't really call him Mike, uh, Mantor. So I He's apologize. Mike to you. I, yeah, but I, you know, but I, I just want to make sure everybody understands what I'm talking about. Right. Um, when Mike passed away, Eric, as we know, mm -hmm. um, he had he had Mike booked for for 80s con or right. 90s wrestling. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I got name, you. I think it was 90s wrestling. He had him coming up for something good. So right. Mike unfortunately passes away, and we know Eric. Eric sometimes doesn't think. I, I've had problems with Eric. Yeah. Okay? And I've made it clear with him. But overall, Eric Sims is a good human being. Sometimes he gets caught. In, I know for you. I didn't say a word. I know, but I'm just saying I know you're not always the biggest fan, which is fine. It's cool. To not be fair, though, there's plenty of me that likes him quite I, a bit. Uh, absolutely. To be fair. I don't want it to seem like you no, hate him. I'm not, absolutely I, I, not. If I'm coming across no, that way, I, I do apologize. not. Not even close. Um, but Eric sometimes cool. doesn't He's think. Fine. He gets caught in the gimmick of stuff. Yeah. And the day Mike passed, he announced it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then said, hey, everybody, who should I get next? So a lot of people, not all right. I don't want to say a lot of people got offended. Some people got offended. It's the timing. And by the way, he's bringing in PN News, um, right? Who's good. Mike's best friend? Good. Right. That's cool. That's but it cool. definitely bought some heat. Okay. All right. Yeah. I want the you to weigh in on timing. that first. Opinion about what I just told it's you. It's just well, if, I mean, the way you worded it just now. Exactly. Just give me that, your response to that. You, you got to know to not do it right at that moment. Like, wait a day or two. Fair just, just don't do it at that moment. Made a mistake. That's fine. He's yeah. human. Right. So you're closer don't to give Mike. Him a break. You're closer to Mike. Say I you're like, closer. I liked Mike quite a say bit. Say you're very close to him. Right. I liked him quite do, a bit. Is your feeling about what Eric did even worse? Ooh. 
Well, first of all, if I'm close with Mike, how do I necessarily even know who Eric Sims is? Well, because you're in a whatever you're in a wrestler, you know Eric Sims is a promoter. You know okay. Mike is supposed to come. If I'm aware of the whole situation, and you're very close with Mike, does it is it make the situation? It depends worse? on where my emotions are at at that given moment. If I'm really, really distraught and he says that, I I, I might get a little you know like. But then again, I wouldn't go public. I'd call him. All right, I'd be so, like okay. Eric, you right. know, you okay. might not. Might so, not have, this is what you know, happened. I mean, being so, publicly attacking him. I mean, okay. Well, leave, so you know, there was a public. The there was alone. a public attack. Hell? Okay. Uh, it was from Big Vito. You remember that guy? Yeah, sure. Right. I do. Mm-hmm. This is what he wrote. What did he write? Uh, you wanted to know about your cult hero. He actually wrote this today. What? He's been doing it a lot, but I just took today's clip. You wanted to know about your cult hero. Maybe now you will respect wrestlers and the business. We are human beings. You prey on people's hardships and go to their deathbeds to get the last drop. If your house was burning, you would only care if your wrestling merch was okay. Anyone who deals with this going forward, you're just low class. By the way, can you put a picture of Big Vito up there so everybody knows who I'm talking about? Because uh, again, can I warn you right now? You're getting me mad. All right, but hold on. All right, all right. I just want people to realize that yeah. who I'm talking about, Big yeah. Vito, because he was very yeah. forgettable. Right. Yeah. Okay? Look, look up. Look up. Look him up. He's got a cap. Or he wears no, a I cap. Look, I look for the wrestler who wore a dress to try to get over. Oh, that's probably the God, best. God, really? Yeah, that's probably the most. Oh, that's probably Jesus. the most thing he's known God for. God Almighty! Right. Oh my God! So Go ahead. Anyone who deals with this going forward, you're just low class. You're getting me mad. Promoters, your promotions are your legacy. Do you want to be associated with this? Most of all, when you say the word, <laughs> that's him. It looks ridiculous. Well, because, because he wasn't a good wrestler. Right. He had no mic skills. Yeah. So what did they say? Put a dress yeah. on him. Yeah. But he's such a he cares so much about the wrestling business. He's like, I'm okay. I'll wear a dress. Right. 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 Gotcha. We spoke about bad. We, Where's we, the uh, before, lipstick? Before poor Mike lipstick. passed away, we talked about the worst yeah. gimmicks of all time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst gimmicks. Oh, man, talk pisses on that. What are we talking about? All Go right. Ahead. Most of all, when you say the word brother, it doesn't mean you take his booking for bullshit excuse like a trust fund a couple of hundred dollars doesn't cover pens and pencils have the honor and represent your brothers in this business now listen and read if you book this person on your shows you're just as dirty as him thank you for all who truly care for all who truly care right now let me explain something yeah go ahead so clearly i can't curse huh no. Go ahead. Wait, a little bit, but don't get crazy. I, don't do the foul crazy. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, if you're going to neuter me, I ain't going to say nothing. Clearly, Big Vito Fooey. is upset over the passing of another one of his brothers in arms. That's fair. Okay. He's got every right to be. And he's certainly upset, like you said. Eric, was his timing was Go back wrong. to the top of the statement. Go back to the top Go ahead. of that statement. Good. Okay. You want to know about your cult hero. Keep Maybe going. now you will respect wrestlers and the business. Keep going. We are human being beings. You prey on people's hardships and go to their deathbeds to get the last drop. Right here. If your house was burning, you would only care if your wrestling merch was okay. Is he disregarding that Eric is a father and a husband? All right, I think I think the point is is that I know, I'm taking him literally. No, okay? you, you can't take it literally. Why not? Because if you are, then you know what? You're taking a fuck 
You're taking a... Oh! I stopped. I stopped. I think they know what that oh, was. I stopped. I stopped. Oh, you were saying Fugazi. You're, you're, ta That's what you're, you you're taking a guy with uh -huh. half a brain and using his words as a literal statement. Okay? But I understand where you're going with it. But let me let me get a little deeper with this. Yeah, okay? go ahead. So he's upset about one of his brothers. No, and and Abe, please chime in also. So I checked Mike's GoFundMe page. Yeah. You know whose name was on the GoFundMe page? Who's that? Eric Sims. I'm not surprised. We were, who, let me guess whose name wasn't. Take a guess. Uh, Big Dress Vito? There you go. Very good. So another example of words right. over reaction. Right. Well, let's go a little deeper. Last year, who was touring for two weeks and then was going to come on the show? Or we were asked to come on our show? Right. I remember the guy, the guy in the dress. Thank you. Yeah. And we said no. Right. But he traveled with what agent? Oh, that's right. There's no one like good old Eric, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Eric's money was good. Oh, for him? Last year. Um, But it, no other wrestler it's you know not I, good for. You know what I smell? What's that? I smell Dookie. Well, there you go. There it is. Again. Another guy who talks with forked tongue. Ah, and let's not mind you. How surprising. Eric, really, come on, think about it. No, I don't like... Do I don't you think Eric was going to make money with Big Vito? Autograph signing. You going to get a Big B Vito autograph? No. No. I'm not even going to go buy a dress. <laughs> there you go. So, Eric, who had a relationship with Big Vito, and I know this personally... So why is he doing this to him? He brought him up because... These guys need attention. They need attention yeah, and they want to act like they care. Right. All right. Right. So, look, I'm not defending Sims. I'm just trying to well, that's... call it like I see it. Can I be blatantly Don't... honest? Yes, I am right. defending Sims. What I, you know, you're welcome, Eric. But it's the truth. What the hell is this garbage? Well, it gets, a little, garbage. It gets a little worse. Always oh, so gets the other, worse. The other day, oh, the other day it, yeah. on Facebook, yeah. If you get tagged, yeah. your name comes up. Okay. So there's a tag from Mitch. Okay. And there's this guy. And, you know, if you can find it, put him up too because I want to get a little deeper into it. It's called Duke Loves Wrestling. Okay. W-R-A-S-S-L-I-N. Wrestling. Right? I call it Duke Does Duty. Okay? Duke Does Duke Duty. Does duty. Uh, nice. But anyway, it's Mitch being asked by this Duke... Does wrestling, 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 wrestling to please come on and yeah. speak about Eric Sims? So okay. Mitch wrote, "I'm sorry, I have an exclusive agreement with Mike Monty and Monty and the Pharaoh, which is a joke." Okay, this there he is. All right, why and the hell are we giving this guy a pop? Because here's the thing: oh, we should not be giving this guy a pop. Well, again, he what he all of a sudden. Some people were asking, who are you? Right. Duke loves wrestling. Right. Right? People were on there going, who are you? Right. I don't know you. Right. What does he do? He starts attacking our show. So I take a picture. <laughs> did, did I take a picture of his show. Of, 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 well, there's a couple of things going on with this guy. Let's get a little deeper with this guy. What else does Duke I, like? I take a picture of some reviews, and I think on, on Chartable, yeah. he ranked... 82 or 128. I don't remember. Says who? Chartable. Chartable. Okay, fine. That's Chartable. Fine. So if anyone doesn't okay, know, Chartable fine. is the audio portion of 
podcasting mm-hmm. where people could see where you're rank, right. right? So he goes on talking about how how we're number one because that's what Mitch put. He goes, I only deal with the number one pro wrestling broadcast. Thank you, Mitch. And he starts attacking. They're not on Chartable. This guy doesn't even know how to read Chartable, right? Oh he goes, we're God. nowhere to be found. Yeah. Clown boy. Number one, number 19 all-time in Ireland, okay? Number 30 in Japan. Again, I don't really care, okay? It doesn't matter because guess what? I'm not having a pissing contest no, but, with no, hold, the guy who loves wrestling. But this is what I'm trying to get, get the hell to. out of here. It all doesn't matter because guess what? What's that? Remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I said, what is the number one, the greatest match of the year get? What? How much money does that match get from mm-hmm. PWI? Right. Nothing. Right. So if you're number one on Chartable, you get nothing. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Okay? We have wonderful family, Mm -hmm. wonderful fans, right? And I tried not to get involved with the guy, right? He was just really starting to irk me. I'm really getting annoyed, but go ahead. Here's the biggest problem with this guy. Can you put his face up again one more time, Abe? I want want Pharaoh to... Because it's really not a face, right? Is it a, what do they call it? An emoji? Yeah, what, that's what, the thing. I, I, when you it looked me to like look it up, Chef from asking, South Park. Did exactly, I see that right? You're like, you're like looking. You're asking why did he get like a pop? I go on Google. That's the only picture. Well, that's no, the no, only no, picture well, well, on the entire on. internet. He also he wow, goes he's on, big time. All like he goes wow, and he says. I've been covered by every wrestler oh magazine. My if God. you Google Shut it, up. it's a half a page of Google. Well, listen, Shut I, up. Google Monty the Fowl. But I, hold on. Here's the biggest question I have for you guys. Put his picture <laughs> up real quick. The emoji thing. Not the actual person because I don't know what the actual person looked like. I did look at one of his other social media pages. Wow, look at that artwork. Okay. Look at the artwork. Wow. <laughs> Good stuff. But hold on. Here's my question to you. Yeah. The picture I saw of Duke, right? Oh, called yeah. Dukey. Yeah, right? he's Dukey. He's Dookie. Look like a white guy. What? So is this one of these people that, that the white guy who thinks he's black, or is a black guy who thinks he's white? I wish uh, I could find a single picture of him. Well, That's here's the, the most. Here's the biggest. Can you problem. find the picture of this no, guy? No, I can't. But no, I can't. I, here's I'm the biggest you, problem. I'm... It's not a white guy who thinks he's black or a black guy who thinks he's white. It's a loser who thinks he's a winner. Yeah. You're out. You're done. Ding, ding. I'm glad you love wrestling. Count it out. Ding, ding. I'm serious. I can't find a single picture. Sure, one, one thing, guys. He, he, did, insult, he did insult me personally. What? He, he, called, he said, you go ahead with your own life, you and your fat arms. What? He called my arms fat. He hurt me. Deeply fat. Wow, your arms are fat, huh? He hurt me That's deeply. That's interesting. Remember the other day when you threw my car across the parking lot because you were no, bored? No, I do have a serious question, guys. I mean, what, what the hell? Is, Why'd what you do are, that to my car? What are the chances Oy. of Dookie, Dookie actually having a real job? Anybody uh, weigh in? Zero to none. Abe? I'm telling you, man, I couldn't find a single picture of him. I like not even I couldn't even find more pictures like that. It's just that picture, another picture like of the close up well, emoji, did, and that's it. I did hear CVS had layoffs, so it, it's po- <laughs> it's possible that you know he's just trapped in his basement. Well, all right, what are, what love for wrestling? What are the chan- I mean, What are the chances that Dookie lives with his mommy still? I mean, there's, there might be not any podcast from his basement. His mom's like, "What are you doing down there?" I, mean, I told you to thing. be quiet after ten. Meatloaf, <laughs> ah, meatloaf, meatloaf. You gave me brisket. I hate, <laughs> I hate you. I hate you, mom. I hate you. 
but you know what though? Dookie has opinions about wrestling. Oh, really? He really thinks he could help AEW. He's got advice for Tony Khan. Oh, wow. Well, maybe Tony Khan should give him a call because he signs every other idiot. Maybe he should. Maybe he should. I but, smell Dookie. But but Duke. But Dookie wants peace. Do, do, he wants peace. He wants peace. Okay. Not peace with us. He says treat people respectfully oh, in I life. Oh, I see. I so see. something that you do not do very well. Oh, I, I, well, I don't believe in it. Do unto others as they do unto you. All right, so can we have a man's bet? You know. Is Dookie black or white? I think Dookie is yellow. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think he's yellow because he talks like a cowardly Dookie. Oh, by the way, he says he has lots of sponsors. Oh, yeah. So he has some mm -hmm. kind of liquid company with, if you use his code, oh. Dookie. If you use Dookie. Dookie. Dookie smells wrestling. What is it, toilet cleaner? Dookie. Dookie. We saw the podcast, Dookie smells wrestling. Dookie smells wrestling. Or how about, how about Monty smells Dookie's mother? <laughs> You see, you're not, you're not being nice. No, I'm not. You're not loving the universe. You think Dookie's mother's hot? Admitting Wait a love. minute, is his mother hot? I don't think Dookie's mom admits to giving birth to Dookie. <laughs> that's what I think. She named him Dookie. She did name him Dookie because that's probably... What do you want to name Listen, our son, honey? First Dookie. Im first impressions go a long way. <laughs> Dookie. So anyway, yeah. to close this out... Yeah. Guys, I didn't mean to go too long. Oh, you had a ball. Who are you kidding? I know, but it, I love it. You loved every second I of love it. it. Um. <laughs> hey, Dookie, thanks for uh, stopping by. Dookie, we love Dookie. You, you know? Wait, Dookie's hold on. Friend. I'm going to flush you. By now. the way, he's I'm been, flushing you, Dookie. He's been doing wrestling podcasting <laughs> since 2016. Wow, he's an overnight unknown. <laughs> he's way to go. Way so, to go. The way in. Yeah. Eric Sims makes a mistake. Yeah, a lot of Big Vito clearly. Why do we call uh, him Big Vito anyway? I have no it's idea. He's not even big anymore. We should call him Dressed Up Vito. He's Dressed Up Vito. He's Dressed Let's Up Vito. Yeah. Let's call him Dressy. Yeah, Purdy Vito. Let's call He's him Dressy. He sure is Purdy. So this is a guy who Eric Sims took care of. Right. Gave him money. Right. Made no money off of. And decided not to use him again because you can't make money off what you can't make money off. Too right. bad. Get over it, Dressy so Vito. So now you, sh you, you should tell Paul PN News. Right. You're a clown if you come work for Eric Sims. Um, maybe PN News should pay Dressy Vito a Oh, visit. by the way, by the way, this guy, uh, Dookie, yeah. was reading all these statements. Because the, the reason it started, he wanted to do an exclusive mm. on Eric Sims. <laughs> it's called the slap heard around the world. Okay. Again, when the Iron Sheik slapped Eric Sims, it's funny. Right. I wouldn't consider it the Bobby, slap heard like around Bobby the world. Bobby Thompson's 1951, yeah. the Giants win the pennant. And to be actually no, a little different. To anybody else, it's funny. Yeah. It's not like, oh my God, the biggest thing that ever happened. Now hold on to Steve Carnum was like, oh my God, you're going to make it like like the Iron Sheik thing. So anyway, Dookie uh, reads all the statement, but he doesn't name he doesn't name dress be dressy. Wait, what are we doing? Dressy. Dressy. All right. We'll call him Dressy. dressy. Dookie me Dressy. Dressy me Dookie. There you go. Uh, D and D. He doesn't name Dressy's Double name. Double He goes, a world famous wrestler writes, and I'm thinking to myself, in what world is Vito world famous? You know, I remember last week, Vito ran through my neighborhood, and my, all the neighbors were like, who's that? Had no idea who he was. So, but he's world famous. He's world famous. Listen, the, to be fair to Vito... <laughs> I want to be fair here. And Abe, tell me what? if I'm wrong. Wow. The guy's probably working at Walmart. Oh, here he's, we go. He, he sees himself on YouTube every so often. Right. He's upset about his life. Right. And he sees that Eric lives a pretty decent life. He's traveling. He's vacationing. Eric he's works doing all hard stuff. and has other... Right. And know, he's probably yeah. upset mm -hmm. while he's got that... 
that he probably has a Walmart gown on, like a dress. You might be right. And he might be upset. Have you seen the My dresses? My real life turned into a dress. Have you seen the, the dresses they sell at Walmart? Oh, that's terrible. Oh, God. It fits him. It suits him. That's terrible. That but is. I get. I bet you he gets a discount. He pro Are you sure? I think so. I heard they laid him off. <laughs> I don't know if he gets a discount. I heard he shoplifts there now. So do you... <laughs> So do you think since since Vito's so concerned about Eric yeah. Sims's life, right, right, yeah. and Dookie is so concerned about Eric Dookie. Sims's life, um, what do you think is going to come about this? Like, do you think Eric Sims will be shut down by the wrestling world? Oh my God! Well, you know, when is there a possibility? When you're a world famous wrestler, your opinion carries weight. Eric Sims is as safe as could be. <laughs> he's he's pretty safe. He's good to go. He's good to go. He's, we'll see him soon. Oh, by He's the way, the other the good other good part is he went on the Dookie went on the attack on Dookie. Mitch because Mitch He's wouldn't make a statement. Wait a minute. Wait so don't so, don't go after so, Mitch. So wait a minute, hold okay. on. Here's the best part. Now I'm getting even He's, madder. He writes he writes that Mitch stole like stole company ideas and was being sued. What? It's so here's the deal. What? Okay. When you're in the world of business, right? Oh my God. And maybe Why are we entertaining this. No, movie? but here's the funny thing: when you're in the world of business, no matter what you do, you buy a house, yeah. you own a business, yeah. you probably could Google people and find out things that may happen. Oh, people sure. get sued, right? Oh uh, yeah, all the time, right? Oh, uh, unfortunately, yeah. right. Yeah. So he, he Google's it, probably reads something like yeah. a court case between Mitch and John Jones right. over this, right. settled whatever, right? And he turns it into oh, right? you're a or yeah, or right. like Vito, right? right. Eric Sims goes, hey, everybody, who should I get? Oh, I'm sorry, Vito. You're so upset, again, over the passing of Mike. Mm -hmm. It's it's taking over your life. Right. You're crazy upset right. about it. Right, right. But you didn't donate to his GoFundMe page. You know how I feel about GoFundMe pages. In this particular right. case, right. I was okay with it, right? right? Mike's got a young girl, a young daughter. An uh, old elderly father. Of course. Hey, you know what? Uh, and you know what? I'm not telling anybody that they should donate. And by the way, I want to make it clear. Um, Paul Stockwell, who's a fan of the show, mm -hmm. this guy donates to everything. Great mm -hmm. guy. Benny Scala donates. Cool. I want to name these people yeah. because you know what? They do Phil, the right thing. Maria, Stingers, they, they do the right Davio. Thing. All these guys, yeah, they do the right thing. Yep. And again, I'm not telling you that you had to donate. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is. You didn't back it up with stupid messages on Facebook. Yeah. You put your money where you're at. And I'll bet my last dookie that goes down the bowl that when Eric asked, who do you want me on, who do you want me to have next? Not a single one of them said Big Vito. <laughs> wow. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. You know, I have to I check that. I would bet that. my last dookie. You know what? You're probably right. I know I'm right. There hasn't been one big veto comment on there. I can't remember ever going to the network or going to YouTube or going to anywhere where I can catch a wrestling match and going, I think I'll watch a big veto match. <laughs> ever. And until right now, I had no idea that there was a person that a parent named Dookie. Well, anyway, we want to thank you guys for joining us. <laughs> Next week, we've got the... Men who have oh. made uh, the unsung heroes who have made the future stars on. Very nice. We want to thank you. Um, ooh, Jay Will says Perry Saturn might be a good interview. Now, that's That'll a guy. Cool. I've heard of him. That's a guy. He rules. That could wear a dress. Dude, he was ripped in that dress. And Moppy? Dude, that was great. It was great. It was great. 
Um, want to thank you for joining us oh, again, Brian Adidas. Oh, that was unbelievable fantastic. interview. Unbelievable what a good guy. hero in wrestling. Excellent interview. Thank you again. And if guys. Go check out right uh, their shop. It's right. It's pinned to the top of the page. Um, on the smaller clips, we'll we'll add the link on there. Um, again, we are always honored that you guys join our little show every <laughs> Thursday. We're so um, mm. we're so you know because no one knows who we are. No one. So thank God you guys yeah. care enough about us. Um, <laughs> Matthew Holland says have Chavo Guerrero on. That's great. I like that, Matthew. Well, we got Barry Windham on. We got Manny coming on. Um, but here's the one I really want. Who? Spirios Arion. Spirios Arion. Let's find Spirios Arion. You know what? Arion. It's going to be my mission. I want to find It's him. my mission. I want him. Spirios Arion. Yep. I love that it. That would be nice. That would be nice. Perry Saturn. I'm going to try to see if we can Perry get Saturn Perry Saturn would be great. That would be great. That would be very, very cool. The Filthy Animals. Look at you. Saturn. Yep. The race anyway, of Saturn? What an honor that you guys join us oh, every yeah. Thursday. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Again, we want to thank Brian Adidas for taking your time out and your wonderful smoking hot wife uh, <laughs> You're joining us me. also. Oh, my God. Because she was smoking. <laughs> yep. Um, invite who? Uh, Maria says, invite what? You want me to invite Dookie onto the podcast? Hey, Dookie, thanks for passing through. Wait a minute. <laughs> If we invited Dookie... I don't uh, want to talk to no, Dookie. I know we're not going to have him Thank on. Thank God. But if we did, do you think he would show his face? Like, if we could find out if he's black or white? What does it no. matter what I want to know. He's a jerk. I, I want to know. Oh, you want, really want to know? Do you ever see those video clips of, like, black guys who think they're white and white guys who think they're what black? What if he's both? It's what if he's both? Then I'm really confused. What do you mean, like Star Trek with the black white? Right, guy? like Frank Orson. Oh my God, how great that would, would be! That great. Be? You don't understand. The black's on the right side of the face. Mine's on the left. What was the name beep, of that beep, alien? Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> well, first of all, the name of the episode was "Let That Be Your Last Battlefield," and that would be Beal and Loki. Oh my God! I believe. I'm not Dude, positive, but if, I think I'm if, close. If I don't care who the person is, find them on the street. If someone's willing to dress black and white right. like that, right. And we could interview the black right. part and then the white part. I would be, unbe awesome. I would be unbelievable. But you know, they feel strongly both ways. That would be, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. be kind of strange. It would be in a conflict. Yeah, it tastes great, less filling. It would be it'd very be strange. In a conflict. It would be very, very strange. It'd it would be, be in a conflict. Yeah. yeah. I want to yeah. say goodnight to you, Abe. Another great job. Uh, Dookie's mother, I'll see you later. Have a good night. Um, send us out. You've been watching. Monty heading on over to Dookie's mom's house. And until next week. <laughs> Later!
I knew were going to hit with people that people didn't believe in. Could um, you go to Vince when you wanted to express? I didn't oh, do that. Fuck the, yeah, bro! Did I ever? To my detriment, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure Triple H was standing outside that door, wanting to rip my fucking head off. <laughs> He's in there again. So, He's in there so, again. Yeah. You're so you're, you're, you're so great with the promo, which is yeah. you know again to me. Oh yeah. As a well, I guess fan. that's also another thing. Right now, I'm a decade in. I'm 10, 11 years in. But when I first got out there, bro, I had this mentality that I was the best, and nobody could tell me. What the fuck it say? And you, that still remains did you, today. You are one of the all-time greats. But let me ask you this, Great and I don't know how true Great. this is. Is it true that you were fined for farting in promo class? That is very true. <laughs> what, what? What is that about? the airport diner beforehand? No, so we were just talking about promo class, okay? Now, imagine monotony, okay? Um, anything, you know, for every girl out there that you fantasize about, there's a guy sick of fucking her. <laughs> Okay. Wow. So you're so right. So this is the truth. (laughs) So when you're in promo class with Dusty Rhodes every single week for five or six years, and you see guys go up there and cut terrible promos, and Dusty tries to get them, you know, and it ends up taking that promo that should have been done in 90 seconds is going to take 20 minutes for this class to get through because Dusty's now helping this guy and he wants them to repeat it and no say it like this or maybe go in this direction or do something different. And so, you know, what I would give today to be a fly on the wall in one of those promo classes to listen to Dusty right now. Mm. But when you're in it, you can't see the forest from the trees. Mm. So some days you just want to get the fuck out of promo class. And if, I, if I'm if i in promo class and there's 60 of us and we got to sit through all 60 promos and Dusty's got to talk to everybody at the end of every one, I'm just trying to make this class go as fast as possible. So when Dusty Rhodes goes, anybody got anything for him? Anybody got any questions? My hand is the fuck down. Just don't say shit. Anyone, Dusty just asked what you thought of that promo, and then all of a sudden you see fucking, fucking some dickhead raise his hand. Now we're talking for another 10 minutes about that terrible promo I just saw, and there was no fixing it, dog. I was like, bro, and imagine you're me, and I'm the best fucking promo in this class every fucking week, dog. Every week. And everybody would tell you, I waited to go last, so I could do my promo on yours. The one I just saw. I'll, pro- I'll cut a promo on what I just saw that'll be better than what you just said, dog. So, one day I got cocky. And I raised my hand because somebody was struggling through a promo, having a hard time, and Dusty was working with them, and I usually never say shit. And I was Dusty's guy. So, when I raised my hand, Dusty stopped like, oh, shit. Enzo's going to chime in. He never chimes in. He just shits there and wants to get the fuck out of here, but he don't know that. So I'm like, yeah, I'm chiming in. I want to help this promo, right? So I raised my hand, and when Dusty called my name, he's like, Enzo, I let out the loudest fart you ever heard in your life off the steel chair. It just vibrated through promo class, bro. And I was like, but before I did it, I went, Corbin. It was Baron Corbin cutting a promo. I was like, Corbin. And he went, yeah, Enzo. And I went, dead pandem, straight face. <laughs> Can't teach Dusty that. Rhodes stood up. He's like, Enzo. I was like, yeah. He walked over to me, grabbed me my, my hand. He walked me to the door. He goes, get the fuck out. I was like, wait, what? I, I was like, Dusty, I thought you would love that. Like, I thought, I thought that was my promo. 
I was like, I didn't go yet. I was going to use that as my promo. Right, right. I was like, I just got the biggest reaction in the room. Right. From a fucking fart. A sound. Like, everyone in this room is either offended, right. fucking happy, yeah. sad. Yeah. They can't believe it. They're in gall. Like, I got every range of human emotion about that fart right there, boy. You didn't see the brilliance in that, Dusty? <laughs> like, you're my guy. I thought you... Bro, Dusty was pissed, man. So, wow. I showed up to work the next day. What I did not know is literally Dusty Rhodes called Triple H that night and got me fired. Oh, oh sh- oh, really? The what? next morning when I showed up to work, Dusty Rhodes called Triple H back up and said, no, nah, I'm not going to fire him. Oh, man. And then Dusty didn't talk to me for like two weeks. And I was like, oh, shit, man. I thought, bro, wow, how did I fuck this up? I'm going to get fired. I think I got jobbed out on TV and like lost and wasn't on like a pay-per-view or something. And I didn't even realize that's why. Like, I don't even put two and two. Right, right. I'm like, I look at the card. I'm like, oh, we're not booked today, Cass. And Cass knows, like, you motherfucker. You <laughs> fucking fucking fart. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even register, right, bro. Right, right, right. Uh, and then um, one day, I was getting my ass kicked in the ring. And they were just giving me hell, bro. They Like, they like imagine, like, you're, 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 you have practice every day. So I'm booked every weekend. I'm Enzo. They got to book you, but they don't, I don't know that. I don't know that I'm Enzo and I need, and they have to put me on the card. I just think I can be taken off at any time or fired. But me and Cass, like, didn't realize our worth. Like, I didn't get it. I was just in NXT. I didn't realize we're selling out the Barclays Center. We're selling out this arena. They can't fire you right now, bro. You guys are like the hottest act in the company. And in in my mind, I'm like, oh, bro, I'm getting fired today. You know, every day. So, uh. When I got when I farted, I think I had that fart heat until the day I I left NXT and went to the main roster, and it even carried over. I still had that fart heat. Wow. Funny how life works. So Dusty, one day I'm getting my ass kicked in the ring. He can see it on the monitor that they're fucking with me, probably. Like you know, I'm in the ring and and it's like everybody take turn putting heat on Zoe, and it just there's like ten different guys beating me up, and I'm I'm selling, I'm just doing like I. I think, but I'm like hungover, bro. And I'm like fucking hurting. And I went out that night and it was like 2 a.m. Now you see, you've been on the card Thursday, Friday. Everyone who's on the card is off. Not Enzo. Because you farted. Now you're in beginner class again. So I got class at 7 a.m. every fucking day, no matter if I got home at 2 a.m. the night before. And I got to set up the ring with the guys and shit. So I'm getting punished for that. And one day Dusty just calls me into his office. And, like, I just went in there, and he didn't say a fucking word. And he just went about his day. And he just got me out of the ring because he saw me get my ass kicked. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And he just, like, they don't need to treat him like that. This is my heat with him. Right. <laughs> Sit the fuck down. Right. So, uh, then Dustin came in the office that day, and, and I was just I was just sitting there, bro, quiet. Like, what? why am I here? Like, am I going to? And then Dusty would call me in periodically for the next, like, couple months. And just get me out of that shit class that I was in. And just go about his day. And what I didn't realize was, like, he's taking phone calls with you in the room, Enzo. Like, you're learning. Um, and uh, with a twinkle in his eye and just a wink of his eye, I knew I was all right. We didn't have to talk. I didn't apologize. and just, <laughs> just uh, you know, it was a wink. Good stuff. Um, but I came to find out on the day that Dusty Rhodes passed away. Four years, three years later, 2020, I believe, on the very day that he passed away, I didn't realize it was the day he passed away. 
I, I, I wake up that morning and I open up my Instagram and just the first thing on my feed is a story about fucking the nasty boys were overseas, farted on an airplane so bad, blew it out, Miss Elizabeth landed, caught a flight, and flew home. She was so offended by the nasty boys. They missed that tour because Vince McMahon, the biggest draw in the company, was Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man. He was so mad at the nasty boys, he took them off that tour and flew Miss Elizabeth back to Europe to finish that tour out. What I didn't realize is that dude, Dusty, knew that. We don't fuck with farts here in the WWE, bro. Vince McMahon will fire you for that fart. I don't need to tell you that, but he shit can't. And I found that out on the day he died, like four years later. Wow. And like, just the first thing I did, I woke up that day, boom, see this fart story. And I'm like, yo, what? Yo, that's crazy. The SD boys got major fart heat, got shit canned by the WWE, got fired for it. Oh, wow. Today's the day Dusty died? Oh, my God. Dusty just told me why I had heat. I was like, he's, he, so like, I, I'm a spiritual guy, God fearing, and I believe, you know, um, I hope Dusty sees my my struggle my up my down and then and, and, uh you know every wrestler goes through it bro I'm, I'm fucking no different dude like you leave the wwe what do you do from there it's mm. not all roses and there's also that it's the wwe do i want to go back tomorrow it's like bro like man i know what it takes to be there and, and, and it takes a lot so um you know, that's a conversation I'd probably have to have with my family, bro. Like, like that. I mean, my mom, my dad, and my goddaughter. Like, if I ever did it for anybody, it would be my goddaughter. I'd take myself out of it, bro. I did it already. Like, I don't need to do that shit again. I did WrestleMania. I broke my ass. I got beat up. And, and it was all for that. And uh, I won titles. And I had a fight in Madison Square Garden. And, bro, bucket list check. Check. And that, that was it. Like, I didn't fucking... I never wanted to be in the main event of Mania and, like, AJ Styles get a five-star match or some shit. Like, mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck about that shit. Like, I just... I wanted to have a good time and do the garden and have my mom and dad there. And, like, I did that shit. So, now well, there's, like, other people that want to well, do that shit. Maybe, maybe, maybe do it. God knows they need you. Man, God's got a plan for me, bro, one way or another. But, like, but this time, but this time it's a different, right? It's a more evolved end, Enzo, and maybe do it for the enjoyment of it. Yeah, belt this time, time don't fart. Also, yeah, but I also don't know that how much I can enjoy being told what to do. Yeah. I mean, like I said to you, from day one, I was in this bitch going like, yeah, I'm the man. I can do this. Mm. Give me the microphone. I'll figure it out. I'll get right. these people going. And it's just a matter of getting over, and that's all you have to do in wrestling. Fuck all the other shit. Can you mm -hmm. get over can you get shit over? Can you get your opponent over? Can you get the match over? Can you get the lockup over? You know, like, what can you get over? And uh, can you draw their interest? And, like, bro, if you're going to write me a promo, I hope you know it's just bullet points of the story that you want me to tell. Mm -hmm. Don't ever fucking hand me a promo and tell me that's what I'm saying. Like, at this point in my career, I'm like, bro, if you can do this better than me, then you do it. Here's the mic. There you go. 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 You're the writer? You wrote this for me? You want me to say it? You want to tell me how to say it? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. It's me, bro. It's what I do. So just, if you respect me, I can respect you back, bro. Respect is a two-way street. If you respect my art, my work, and what it is that I bring to the table, what I do, I'll respect you. And we can work together, and I'll and I can make whatever promo you had my own.
and we, I can always I can always regurgitate a promo that you want me to say. Like if the goal is, hey, he wants to have a match with you, and he wants to fuck your girl, and you know you guys got heat for the girl, and now, okay, I go tell that story. You just told it to me on the bullet points. But when they're handing you a promo and it says, how are you? And I'm like, I want to say, how you doing? And they're like, no, you got to say, how are you? And I'm like, I want to say, how you doing? I'm like, no, you have to say, how are you? I'm like, bro, I'm lost here. I'm fucking gone. Right. I don't have that patience for that shit right, right. now. Right. Right at the guest, right? Other rumors. Can you uh, elaborate on what the wrestling fan, like we read about the heat with Roman Reigns and that bus incident. Is that a true incident that right, happened? Man, yo, look. It, dude, I got into a physical altercation and it wasn't with Roman Reigns. Okay. So okay. I changed. I had to change buses. Okay. I got into a fight with a guy in a locker room and I punched him in his fucking face. And when you punch somebody in the fucking face, the next night Vince puts you in the main event. That's the truth. That happened. Um, you know, with like wrestling, bro... Dude, you are with people on the road every day for seven years. You're a family. You, there's drama. People, some people just wake up on the wrong side of the bed or having a bad day. And if, and, and if vice versa, if you're the guy who walks in the room and you're so thrilled to be alive and you're so happy to be there and that guy's either hung over or that guy had a bad day and ain't trying to hear it. You know what I mean? It's just like any other job, but this one is a testosterone-driven, politically-fueled fucking, you know, world of of excess fucking gab and gossip and bullshit, yeah. and I never adhered to the principles of that. So the wrestling world can miss me with adhering to principles when... I get wrestlers at indie shows that come up to me that are in the independent locker room and they're like, oh, can, can I be, hi, how are you? Can I ask you, can you watch me? I'm like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? I'm Eric, bro. Like, calm the fuck down, dude. Like, talk to me like a, you talk to your friends or someone you met at the mall or someone you're engaging with at the cash register. Like, just be nice to people. Just be good to people. Respect them. And like, if my confidence hurts your insecurities i'm sorry but that ain't my fucking problem i never sold it so if you're if you don't like being around me because i'm smiling i'm happy i'm confident and i can run out of a room backwards you know what i'm saying and fucking you know i walk it like i talk it you know what i'm saying i'm blindfolded know who i am know where i'm going i'm not fucking trying to be something that i'm not so when people in this fake world, because wrestling's not real, right? It's fake mm -hmm. to a degree, or at least they say it. The violence is real. This shit hurts. Well, so do the words. So do that part of it, bro. So it's like, that part of it's real too. So I just don't get mixed up in it. I can't, I've never talked to a fucking dirt shit. I didn't know who Dave Meltzer was when I was the cruiserweight champion. Didn't give a fuck. Never will. There's a little kid out there wearing my wig doing my dance, bro. Who the fuck is Dave Meltzer? I don't give a fuck about shit like internet talk. I can't Google my name, especially after what happened to me, the amount of press. So I kind of became the guy in wrestling when I got out to dictate the narrative. If I want you to say something about me, I'll do it. I had an indie wrestling match with one of my best buddies. When I got out of WWE, COVID hits in 2020, and I want to get back in the ring. 
And you can't get in the ring. Where are you fucking going to go wrestle? Mm. COVID hits. I go to Texas. Big Cass just got back sober, getting in great shape, and he was wrestling in Texas. And then I found out my buddy, who I was in the WWE with, who they missed the boat on, one of the best workers in the world, on the mic, in the ring, was a guy at WWE named Knuckles Madsen in NXT. Nobody ever saw him. We saw him. Anybody, Bray Wyatt wanted him in the Wyatt family so bad. Fought mm. for him, didn't get him. They thought he would take away from Bray. Draw too much attention. Mm. He goes by Warsaw. Ivan Warsaw on the Indies. People don't know who the best wrestlers in the world are from 2012 to 2018, unless they were in the WWE, probably in the Performance Center. You have a good feel for who can go, who can't. Like, I knew how good Chad Gable was. Nobody needed to tell me that. That motherfucker was an Olympian. I was on the card in the ring with that motherfucker. Dawson, Harwood, everybody's giving him his flowers now. I was in the ring with him in fucking 2012. Could have told you how good he was. Wow. So that same goes for this kid, Warsaw. He's been out of the business for four years. I call him on the phone. I'm like, hey, bro, we got to get you back in the ring. I'm going to put you over, too. So I go down to this Texas show, SWE Fury, and what I did was the Rick, uh, the Randy, uh, I mean, um, the Ricky Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts spot, DDT on the concrete, had a stretcher come out. Difference was I didn't smarten up any of the boys, the referee, the commentators, or the promoter. So everyone thinks it's real. The only person who was smartened up was Warsaw, me, and Teddy Long, who was the uh, who was working as the commissioner mm -hmm. teddy long got the stretcher guys come out there i told teddy long the first thing you need to do when you run out through that curtain is look at the cameraman and go stop filming this shit when you look at that cameraman on the floor cam the hard cam's still gonna be rolling so you'll have the footage but when that floor cam guy that doesn't know what's going on gets told oh my god don't film this everyone's gonna think this shit's real and then they put me on a stretcher and they bring me to the back and all the boys are so mad at warsaw they wanted, like, uh, Mac wanted to beat his ass. They, it was people there that were, like, mad at Warsaw because he came out of the ring like, fucking idiot, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, fucking, you just killed him. Well, just I get on the stretcher, the I go goose, to the right? back room, and I and, I, and then I got uh, my boy waiting there. We go to Hooters. People think I got I, to sent to the hospital. Sports Illustrated writes an article. Enzo Amore knocked out cold by DDT on an SWE Fury show by Ivan Warsaw. Think about what was just typed in that headline for Sports mm. Illustrated. Promotion name, who I wrestled, DDT on concrete. Thank you. I got my boy's name in that bitch. Sports Illustrated article. Got uh, got another match out of it against him. Another, and we went 30. And then I had another match with him. So I had three matches with this motherfucker. And people thought I got knocked out out of a DDT on concrete. And people wrote articles about it. And that people in the comments are like, oh, Enzo got knocked out again. What a fucking idiot. Like, oh, this kid can't work. Oh, Enzo shouldn't learn how to wrestle. Oh, he shouldn't be out there. He fucking risk it for himself. Bro, that's the point. I live above it. I want Sports Illustrated to write an article about how I get knocked out cold, dude. I don't give a fuck. It ain't about that for me. Um, so... People are petty. The internet's petty, and I could get, I could, I could cut a promo on this shit right now on like Seth Rollins and say some like crazy shit, right? And that will be written about tomorrow. So I understand for the people that think I'm wild or I, I, I pick and choose my battles and spots, but know that 
I see that. If I cut a promo on AEW guy or a WWE guy and I really lay into him and I take the time to, to say this shit and I put it on Instagram, my Microman match that I just had, the video has 260,000 views on my Instagram and has 300 plus comments about it. And that's for Major League Wrestling and me wrestling the smallest wrestler in the world. If I want to draw headlines and be this atrocious fucking character uh that dude that didn't really work too well like i played that up that jake paul uh, logan paul shit where like you're talking shit about people and bro how many people missed the boat on that i don't know i got out of the wwe me and Cass jumped the guardrail at madison square garden at ring of honor new japan show and they don't book us back to wrestle in the garden and then they don't book the garden again period bro what the fuck do you want me to tell you? Like, that's I, this is Eric speaking to you. Like, that was a work. People thought it was a shoot. Mm -hmm. People thought I was that asshole. But it's just like in life. You know, I mean, look, uh, I was a big fan of Nikolai Tesla. I'm, I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with Tesla. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I even went to the New Yorker hotel to see his, his suite where he lived before he died. But for some reason, I couldn't connect as much as I wanted to. This is like, that's a guy that I always thought would be like so fascinating to talk to. Um, so no, I can't always connect just because I want to. Right. Uh, there's right. got to be something, there's got to be almost a reason to connect, you know? Well, Gary, but. can I just attempt to reach out to somebody that has passed on? I'll give you a sure. name and we'll try. All right. Yep. Evan Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he looks like he's passed on. Oh, he's not dead? I, I don't no. know. You know oh, he's I'm not. sorry, Gary. How did you know I'm right sorry. away? You sure he's not halfway? No, I, 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 honestly, what I was, I do pick up living people sometimes, too, and he's laughing like hell right now. Is he? I got a feeling he's shaking his fist and getting mad about his large nose, but that's a whole other story. No, he's actually laughing. By the way, he, he reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. Oh, he is. Oh, he a is. bad one. Yeah, it's a, uh -huh. a surreal Seinfeld episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was surreal. I was suddenly sensing myself. That's great. <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. I don't feel good. And, and Gary, way. again, for people out there, where where can they reach out to you? Uh, where where you know website, upcoming shows. Thank you, um, GaryMcKenstry.com. Um, I do. I also do Zoom readings and in-person readings. That we right now we're I'm promoting a show we're doing in Massachusetts at the place called the Public House in Sturbridge, Mass. That's going to be in October. Um, you can get tickets on Eventbrite there. Uh, phone number and God, I don't know if I should give this in the New York area. It's 207-527-2067. Um, we do come down to Massachusetts once a month. We we leave Maine here. But, um, yeah, so if people want to get a hold of us, please do. Um, we also have an events listing page on the website, and it'll tell everybody where we are. Excellent. Okay. And I want to I want to say special thanks to Phil DeCessere for yes. introducing you, me Phil. to you. Yes. Uh, he's a... Good friend of yours and a wonderful man. He's a mutual friend. Yeah, Phil is great. He uh, is. You know. Agreed. Gary, so, I want to oh, thank you. Oh, go ahead. 
I want to. I just want to put in a, a quick plug for my buddy Aaron. He's going to be. They're going to have this great 75th anniversary match with Vampiro. I guess it is Vampiro. Gotcha. Um, yep. So it'll be Aaron and Vampiro, and it's a tag team thing. Um, so NWA coming up. I think probably they had this year, this week or next week. So anyway, Vamp- Vampiro used, Vampiro <laughs> no, used to have a show on our network for right. a couple of months, Vampiro right. TV. So that's good to hear. Um, yep. He's out and about. He he's hasn't out retired about. yet. Very good. Gary, thank you again for joining Long Island's number one pro wrestler and broadcast. You were fantastic. And thank you. Gentlemen, you're great. And have a great evening. Okay. God Thanks, bless. Gary. Or speak with Vince McMahon. I'm still not speaking with him, and, and and you know, so so they're very strong here in Quebec. So 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 that causes a little bit of conflicts, and then and, and so all that. So so I'm more now AEW, of course, because working with QT Marshall right. and stuff like that. So 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 you have Pepsi and Coke in the same place. So so the ones that want Pepsi to beat Coke, they're gonna work hard for that. And uh, and, and I respect them all. You know, I, I do. I respect everybody who tries to make a living out of this. But I feel like I'm not stealing anything from anybody. I, I, I'm in my backyard here. I wrestled for 45 years professionally. So, you know, I, I think this is my place. And, and then I think this year again, you know, it's amazing that, that I, I can't, I can't stop thinking about, you know, if I was a young pup there and I, and I was starting into business, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's one thing guys you have to understand. I remember when I was real young, my, my dad told me <clears throat> there's two criteria to become a, a great wrestler and to make it in this business. First, you got to be at the right place at the right time. And then you got to know the right people. And, you know, and, and this deal here, I can't get American papers for my, my people in Canada. That's the biggest problem that the Canadian wrestlers have. They can't get working visas. But I could get them now three months at the Nightmare Factory to be seen by QT Marshall, Billy Gunn in AEW, and Cody Rhodes in WWE. So if they see something they like, if they see something extraordinary out of one of the talents in Canada, then they could go ahead and try to get their papers or do what they have to do. I just want to put them a, a foot in the door there. And, and that's what I'm doing now. And that's so amazing for me. If, I never had a chance like that when I was young. It was different. It was small territories. So, so I think this is the greatest opportunity right now on the planet for the Canadian wrestlers. And, and I'm proud to be... Uh, putting this together Jacques Rougeau's wrestling academy with my girlfriend who's the who's my my, my rock and all this and uh, so it's it's just amazing it's I'm, I'm reliving again my passion like I was 15 years old again and I'm 63. You, you could see it in your face man you could see it in your face real quick question you 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 mentioned McMahon what was the fallout between you and uh Mr. McMahon? I think you know there's a as I'm growing older, I think there's a little bit of both here that's in, in fault. I I think one thing Vince never understood is uh, us being on the road 25 days a month in a row and not seeing our families and 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 and, and wanting to make it to the top, wanting to get the belts, wanting to get the uh, merchant value that you have as a character. And everybody's fighting for that top spot, and we're all waiting in line to get the belts because I thought that was one of the best ways to and and and. And, and after being there for like, you know, four years with my brother Raymond and never getting the tag belts, which we, we deserved. And we had it one night in Montreal, but they took it away by video the next day and they never yeah. acknowledged it at the WWF. Boom. And then, and, and, yeah. and, and then, 
and then and then working at the becoming the intercontinental title for two days hey it's not bad two days you know it's okay I, I i still think it was awesome because when people go to comic cons they see they always have a doll with me with the belt around the intercontinental belt i, I look at that and i said man i'm the shortest lived intercontinental title uh, holder but anyway that's fun but then but then as the years progress, I came back as a Quebecers with Carl. You know, you want to, and, and, and we were lucky. We took the belts right off the bat off the Steiners the first night in Manhattan at uh, Monday Night Raw uh, as we came in as a team. But you become more, you want more faster. I paid my dues. And, and you want to have a top spot. You, you want to stay in the top spot. And uh, and, and then there, there was a time there, like, like for, for so many months, Carl and I, we were... Uh, we were we were getting beat night after night by middle teams, by underdog teams, and and then, but they kept telling us and they kept telling me, don't worry, Jacques, because at WrestleMania 10, you guys are against the moms, men on a mission, mm. and you guys are gonna beat them right in the middle, and, and you're gonna get all your credibility back. And we were going to Toronto, going to Montreal, and getting pinned in our own towns, like you know, getting beat. But they kept telling us, Pat Patterson kept telling us, don't worry, Jacques, you're going to get all your credibility back at WrestleMania 10. And and, and, and when we got there, I, I, I think that the fact that they had us hanging on there because we were working so hard and, and we were waiting for that moment. And then when we got there, then a couple hours before the show, Pat came to see me and told me like, hey, uh, listen, Jacques, uh, Vince was thinking there that, you know, if we beat the moms tonight, uh, what are they going to do? You know, what are they going to do with them? And I looked at Pat and I said, well, I don't give a shit. You know, I said, yeah. I said yeah. for five months, you've been telling us that this is our night and this is where we're building, getting all our credibility back. And, and now you want to change it? Like, you know, and, and that was such an insult. And I never had a, I, I never knew how to dealt to deal with that. Yeah, That was my fault. I, I was immature probably. And so, so I had this, this grudge inside of me. Like, you know, I felt like I was used. And I felt, and, and all the good things that we that he did for me, because he did plenty of good things for me, they, they seemed to all disappear because it was a hard time those times. And and, and uh, so so after that, then I just got my retirement match and did a, finished my bookings with him, and and, and and I finished off and and we went. I went to WCW and then came back one time, and it but it never came back. Even when he came back for that short period of time, it it was Jim Ross that was there and he, Vince was barely talking and then he was probably upset that I went to WCW and that's okay. But I was upset at him. He was upset at me and, and things go on. I, I, I think this is a, it's a cruel world, the business it, but it just, uh, I don't think that Vince will ever understand, uh, how it is to be on the road 25 days a month with the boys that are, are sometimes a little uh, loud and obnoxious and, and, and different and uh, in their own characters and their own gears and their, and their own state of mind and, and trying to stay calm. Like, you know, cause you see them at the airport all day. You see them in the gym, you see them at the hotel, you see them at the restaurant, you see them in the arena, you're married to these guys, you know, day after day. So it becomes hard. And, 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 and then when, so, so I lost a little bit of probably a little, uh, self-control myself to a lot of patience and stuff like that. I think it's a mix of everything together. You know, if I had to start over some things, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I would, you know, who knows uh, how it is. I'm, I'm a little bit more mature today, but, uh, but, but that's what happened really for me. That was the falling out. And, and, uh, so, 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 you know, I, I, I honestly think also, I honestly think uh, that, uh, if you're, if I'm being honest with you, you know, after spending like uh, from from 80, 85 that I signed with them all the way to, to 
the 90, 94, 95, I spent 10 years there approximately in WWF, WWE. And, uh, and I think that everything that I've accomplished with my brother Raymond, uh, with Carl and, and just me as a Mountie, thinking the jailhouse match and everything that, that we did, uh, I, I think that, that, that the Rougeau name deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh, only seen here out of Indie Music Studio, straight out of Long Island. Abe, how was your Thanksgiving? It's pretty good, pretty chill, a lot of food. Lots of food? Hell yeah. Like, what's the specialty at your house for Thanksgiving? Well, my mom is, is the best cook I know, so I, 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 I love the turkey, stuffing all, I, I, Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. One thing I will tell you, right? So I grew up on my mom's food, obviously, like you're discussing. But once you get married, there's a quick switch over where you just become, you know, hooked on your wife's food. And then it becomes difficult to eat other people's food, too. It's a kind of strange thing. No one no one is a better cook than my mom to me. So it's, it's going to take a lot, you know, to dethrone her. All right. Well, we're excited. All the fans and the family are excited. It's very rare that you have an opportunity to have someone this special on your show. Do you know who we got on the show there, Abe? I believe I do. We have a legend. Pro Wrestling Royalty, Mr. Ricky Steamboat. Thank you, sir, for joining Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Hey, guys. How you doing? You might, uh, I just saw your name tag. You go by Mike or Monty or... How should I dress you? You could call me Mike or Monty, whatever's easiest. Monty, usually people call me that. That's usually what they go yeah. by, so I'm good with that. Yeah. Okay. I'll call you, uh, <laughs> if that being said, I'll call you Mike. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, and again, you know, again, part of me wants to call you Mr. Steamboat because of the ultimate respect I have for you, but in our early discussions, it will be Rick and... Uh, yep. What what an honor it is to have. How does it feel that people still, even someone my age, is in such 
awe of you for what you've accomplished in your life and your career? Mm. Well, you know, a lot of that has to be, uh, the reason being is, you know, in the mid eighties when, uh, Vince McMahon took the business and, um, uh, decided to go national with it on TV, coast to coast. And, um, up to production level, I, I'm sure you could remember a lot of televised wrestling shows were done in small studios with maybe 50 people sitting on one side, hard cam side, hard camera side. And then he, uh, you know, he would take it to arenas and coliseums with 10, 15, 20,000 people. And um, everybody in the, in the world just took notice of that and uh you know made wrestling bigger than life and then it, in turn it made all of us you know superstars and and bigger than life uh you know actors or athletes well i and eventually everybody knew who you know ricky steamboat was on a yeah. worldwide basis and kind of helped that number one you're a really good looking guy and number two you could you could wrestle <laughs> like no other so i guess put that combination yeah. together and then you have one of the greatest pro wrestlers in the history of your sport right well you know um i was always an athletic kid i can remember as back as eight years old playing football baseball basketball um it wasn't until i got into ninth grade that I uh, I was actually going out for the basketball team at, at the high school. And, um, you know, I'm in the ninth grade and, you know, and I'm, at that time I'm maybe five foot eight. And, um, you know, you get your juniors and seniors and of course you're going to be, you realize you're going to be sitting on the bench a lot. And I just kept looking over in the corner of the gymnasium where I, these kids were wrestling. I had a mat down and they were wrestling. So uh, I went up to my basketball coach and I said, what are they doing over there? And he says, oh, that's our, uh, that's our high school wrestling team. And you know, it didn't take me 30 seconds. I said, um, I said, see ya. <laughs> and I just walked over there and coach Reckonwall, he was there. And uh, I said, you know, I wanna, I wanna try out for the wrestling squad. And, um, you know, they they had a weight class that was open, and I fell into that weight weight class at uh, 165, and um, started wrestling as just uh, you know in my you know freshman year there, and then uh, got got better as each year went by, and my junior and senior year went to the state championships for uh, I, I, this was down in uh, Florida. St. Petersburg, Clearwater area where I grew up. My dad was 22 years in the service, and when he retired in '67, he went he went to St. Pete and um, and retired there. So uh, I really enjoyed the sport. I you know, and I played high school football, and I was what they call like a power back. So I was like in between a oh I don't know a full back, half back, and a flanker back. You know, I could run out and catch passes, and at the same time run up through the middle. In my senior year, we had a pretty good, pretty good football team. We went nine and one, and um, so you know I was involved with sports, 
and uh, after a couple years, uh, I, when I got out of uh, high school, uh, I was going to start a junior college down there in St. Pete, but you know, at that time, I was kind of fed up with the books, so I was uh, just doing manual jobs um, for a couple years there. I was doing door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman for Kirby. I was selling Kirby <laughs> vacuums door to door. And, um, you know, back then, and I'm going back to early seventies, like 73, 74, 75, 73 and 74. Um, you know, they were almost $400, you know, for a vacuum cleaner and you can go get a Hoover for 29 bucks off the shelf. So, uh, but commission on them were good. There was a hundred bucks for each sale. So I would go out and knock doors like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and try to get a sale each day, which meant if I got three sales, that's 300 bucks back in the early seventies. And, um, then on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you'd find me at the beach. <laughs> and you must've you know, done well, that. right? Good looking guy knocking on these, these, these housewives. They open the door. There he is. Ricky well, steamboat selling a vacuum and they're buying three of them at a shot. Right. Yeah, well, I never got three sales in one place. I did get two sales in one household, you know, um, but it was, you know, you, you, you would try, I would try to always get three sales and then, um, then head off and go to the beach. And, um, I thought that was pretty good money. And, uh, I was always sort of a fan of pro wrestling with, uh, Florida championship wrestling. Uh, the, the announcer there was Gordon Soley. Um, I remember as a high schooler, uh, us guys on the wrestling team, we would drive from St. Petersburg over to Tampa. And on Tuesday nights at the old armory, we would, we, we would be wearing our high school wrestling t-shirts. And we'd be sitting there in the first, second, or third row, just razzing the heck out of those, those pro wrestlers. And um, not knowing at the time that just if, you know, three or four years after that, that, you know, I would, I would be in the ring doing it. But uh, I had a couple of my buddies that always told me, even when, I, when this was out of school, that, you know, he said, you remember how we used to go to Tampa and we used to watch those pro wrestlers? I said, oh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. He said, and they'd say, Ricky, you ought to try that. You'd be good at that. You were a good wrestler and, you know, you ought to give it a shot. So, um, 1975, um, I heard about a wrestling school up in Minneapolis, uh, Vern Gagne, and at that time it was the AWA. So, uh, one day I just put my clothes in the car and uh, said goodbye to my mom and dad, and my two brothers, and drove from St. Pete to uh, Minneapolis. God, it was like 1,800 miles. And um, got me a little efficiency apartment. Um, now, just prior to that, I was selling Kirby vacuum cleaners, but I decided to, you know, work harder. So instead of just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I, I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then I got a second job at night where I was um, like a bouncer at a bar down there in St. Pete working nights. So trying to get the uh, two jobs together and save enough money to get up there and uh, 
I found out that the camp was uh, two and a half months. It was 10 weeks. And I said I needed enough money to pay rent and food and where uh, I could survive without having to get a job up there while I'm trying to go through this wrestling school. And um, school started November the 16th in 1975. And um, I went up there and got a little efficiency apartment. There, It was like... Uh, Almost a setup like you see in some of these, um, um, like a Marriott suite or something like that. You'd have a little, little fridge, had a little one burner, had uh, mattresses on the floor, had a little uh, TV tray that doubled as a nightstand, and it's what I ate off of. And um, that's the way I lived in that place for almost two and a half months going through that school. Yeah, it was from 10 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was five hours of, of training. And I could, I could tell you some of that. That was the hardest thing I ever went through in my entire life. Nothing like the, the training schools of today, you know. So, it's, but, uh, so it was as tough as those documentaries show Vern was really working you guys out. Well, you know, when I was, you know, Vern had, uh, Rick Flair went to the same school, and his, his class was the one before me, okay? Uh, Bob Bruggers, Rick Flair, um, Iron Sheik. Ken Patera, Jim right? Brun, jump, yeah, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, uh, Greg Gagne, Vern's son. Um, I think uh, Chris Olson, who was a big Olympic Oklahoma heavyweight. He was in that class, but their class was the one before me. It was two years before me. And um, I'll tell you real quick, on the first day we showed up, we, uh, there were 16 of us. And I, I felt like I was the only one from out of state. Everybody else was pretty local. You know, they had some barroom guys, you know, tough guys. And, and um, I think one other guy had a, amateur background in wrestling in school, high school. And 16 of us showed up. We had to pay $2,000. That was the entry fee. Back in the year, in 75, that was a lot of money, 2,000 bucks. I remember minimum wage was, I think, a buck 50. Wow. And so, um, and um, our coach, we called him coach, but the guy that put us through the paces was, uh, his name was Kazro Vaziri. Is that name familiar to you? Sure does. Iron Sheik. Yep. Right? He put us through the paces. Now, at that time, Iron Sheik, I think he's probably about 5'10", and he, he, you know, he weighed a buck 80. All right? So, uh, God, he had us doing these Hindu squats. Now, we were in the basement of a 20-story building. That picture there, he's about 250. But at, at the camp, he was a, he was a buck 80. And man, he was, he was, he was like a steel pole, man. He was solid. And um, we were in the basement of a 20-story building. Vern's office was on the top floor. And um, it had high ceilings in the basement. That's where the ring was set up. And we, First day, we went over to the stairwell. And now from the basement to the top, it was 21 flights. And he made all of us run up to the top and run down. Now, of course, a lot of guys didn't make it. 
um, I made it up and down. I think I'm not bragging, but I think I was in the best shape of pretty much all of them because I really took it upon myself that while I was in Florida, three times a week, I would work out with the weights. And the other three times a week, I would go to the beach and I would run five miles barefoot in the sand. I had a spot to where I parked the car and I'd run two and a half miles up to this pier. They had a little coffee shop, grab a coffee and then run two and a half miles back to the car. And I was doing this three times a week to get in, get in shape. So I think a lot of the guys that showed up thought that they could just be tough and didn't worry about cardio. So, all right, getting back to, we would run the stairs up and uh, all the way up to the top 21 flights and then run back down. And then Coswell looked at us and he paired us off eight pairs and he paired us off according to our size, try and make it equal to the guy next to you. So then you had to get a guy up on your shoulders, his head over here, reach between his crotch and grab his leg and you got him like in a fireman's carry and carry this man up 21 flights on your back. Of course, nobody made it, but regardless of uh, how many times you pause, Cosro was relentless on making sure that you made it to the top, even if you just took one step at a time and um, had to take a rest. And so we all got to the top, ran back down, and then your partner carried you up, and then you ran back down. And then he asked one of each of the partners to drop down to their hands and knees. So I dropped down to my hands and knees, and my partner's name was Buck Zumhoff. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, Buck, grab Ricky's ankles. And so I would have to wheelbarrow on my hands up 21 flights. And Buck is holding on to my ankles, and I'm trying to go up each step one at a time with my, you know. After you get about the third or fourth flight, your arms are shaking, your shoulders are burning, you're trapped, your neck, everything, you know. And um, you'd collapse. And this is a cement stairwell. I had so many bruises on my face and forehead from catching the edge of the step every time my arms would collapse. And... Um, make it all the way up to top and run it back down and then switch. And then you grab his ankles and he'd have to go up on his hands up 21 flights. Now that's all we did the first week because it took, like I said, class was from 10 to three. It took all that time for everybody to complete it. And then we were off in the weekends and the following Monday out of the 16, four showed up. A dozen quit. I was about to ask you how many fell out after the first week. A dozen quit. And um, the four guys was me, Buck Zumhoff, a guy by the name of Jen Nelson, and another guy by the name of Scott Irwin, mm. who wrestled pretty much in the Texas area and became pretty good. Yeah. And um, I think he passed away. Um, I'm not quite sure of the medical terms, but I think he had a retinal something cancer that went into his brain, and he was a young man. I mean, I think uh, late 20s. And uh, Jan Nelson passed away with um, an overdose, and then uh, Zumhoff is in prison for doing something with minors. Yeah. And so out of the four, I was the, I'm the last guy. And then 
you know, and I went on with my career, but that was the hardest, you know, 10 weeks of my, my life. I, I told myself, the only way I'm not going to be able to finish this is if they tell me maybe you ought to quit or come back and do the, the camp the next time. Um, I wasn't going to quit. And uh, I went up there and I weighed 232 pounds. At the end of 10 weeks, I was 195. Amazing. <laughs> I was spent. Rick, I, I want to bring you back a little bit, though. You mentioned that you got tired of school. You, you just got a regular job. And your father, yeah. who was a lifer in the military, and uh, God bless him for his service. Yeah, 22 years. At what point did your father ever say, hey, look, join the military? And if he did, why didn't you? And then I'd like to understand when you said to him and your mom, hey, guess what? I'm going to be a pro wrestler. What, was, what, what, what were they like? What, what, was, what was that all about? Dad wasn't real real uppity uppy about me joining the service um you know i graduated from high school in 71 and they had the draft but my number was like 300 something so uh there was no chance for me to get drafted because i had such a high number uh even though that my dad spent 22 years in the army he wasn't he wasn't big and he didn't push because uh you know in the late 60s there and the early seven, you know, Vietnam was uh, pretty strong. And, um, and I think mom had a lot to do with it. You know, my mother's from Japan. Uh, she was born in Kyoto, which was the original old capital. And um, I just, she never said to me, and dad never said that mom said, but I have a gut feeling that she just did not want to see her boys go off, uh, you know, to Nam or something didn't want wanted to chance it so it wasn't anything that was uh, even having uh, you know kitchen table talk about um, that day that I said I was going to be a, a wrestler and go to this camp uh, my dad was good with it but you know something my mom was more proud and excited about me doing that and she you could see it in her face and in her smile and in her hug, but, um, you know, her last words were, you know, the, make sure, you know, take care of yourself. Don't, don't let them hurt you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I love it. Rick, I want to go over a couple of news articles and then I want to get into your career a little bit. Um, okay. Recently, uh, wrongly shaming a kid for blackface in a gross virtual signal and perhaps the laziest Monday morning quarterbacking performance ever deadspin writer karen phillips smeared a pint-sized kansas city chief fan as of wearing a black face wearing bigot and accused the nfl and cbs of aiding and abetting this behavior what were your thoughts about that when you heard that in the news i thought it was completely ridiculous you know to um put an emphasis on a young man that was a Kansas City Chief fan. And, you know, I've never been to a Kansas City Chief game, but, I, um, you know, I like, I like watching Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs is one of my favorite teams to watch. And, um, you know, whenever they show the crowd there, 
and uh, you know there might be ninety thousand people there at the stadium, and fifty thousand of them are wearing what the kid was wearing, and to isolate and point that out to try and get a ridiculous point across. You know, there's just so many issues right now that bother me about the direction that this country has been going for the last three and a half years, that it is, it is just brainwashing, propaganda, and it, to me, very upsetting. Let's let's stick on that subject a little bit. Um, I agree with you. What? Where do you think this all started going wrong? That I, could I say that this country is really becoming soft, and we're not able to handle criticism properly, and we're making a lot of excuses for our actions nowadays? What are your thoughts about that? Where do you think this country started going backwards? Um, I, I, I never saw, you know, I was never really big into politics until about the last three years in which I started noticing changes. Um, I never knew that um, in some of our more uppity elite colleges were, were teaching the young people more of a socialistic style of governing instead of our capitalism. I never knew that. Um, it, maybe because I just wouldn't bend an ear or wasn't that much interested. But then um, more and more of uh, stuff becoming more visual to my eyes. And, you know, and they tell you don't believe what your eyes are seeing. Well, it's your eyes don't lie to you what what you see and then after that is what you hear. And I just, um, I don't know if the country's getting soft. I think the, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. The Democrats had just come out with something so shockingly revealing. And since they were able to, this, this last election gain control and power, um, been being able to uh, use that on you, and and it's even more troubling now that you know some pieces of our government going after um, civilians, you know, our teachers that that are expressing a voice about what's happening in school and and trying to protect their kids and um, people being censored when when. Uh, you know, our First Amendment with the freedom of speech, and um, it just behooves me how they can continually, and I'm going to use this word, lie and, 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 and procrastinate uh, propaganda and to use that as uh, a weapon. And you know that old saying, if you tell a lie enough times, you, you get people starting to believe it. And um, just things that have gone so wrong with our, our country. And then they can turn around and say, well, let's uh, blame it on the Republicans because it's their fault. And I'm thinking, how in the world can it be their fault when you guys are the one in control and everything that's been going on is because of what you've been doing? And, you know, um, they're, they're using, 
using the you know the Republicans as an escape goat because I think they're 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 starting to see that the American people are not buying you know what they're being told. It's just not it's not right and it's also not correct. And um, what you know that old that old thing about uh, if it ain't broke don't fix it. This country in the past 200 plus years has been the you know the strongest country in the, in the world the youngest country to be able to expand and grow as it did and it was all because of the uh, values that our fathers our forefathers put forth to give everybody a chance and a break and equal opportunities and i just don't understand how they see that their way of doing things, of just basically going to end up with two classes. You're going to have the very, very rich, and then you're going to have everybody else underneath, you know. And it's just, it's, um, it hurts my heart, and it turns my gut. And, uh, you know, how much... Mm, how much this country has done for me, you know. You know, I'm half Japanese, and I was I was bullied when I was a kid and made fun of, you know, slanty eyes, yellow skin, and all that. But, um, you know, both my mom and my dad, you know, they, uh, you know, they just, you know, take it on the chin, you know, you're better. And uh, I, I, I grew up with parents that believed in right and wrong. Uh, if you do it, do it correctly. Um, do it the right way, um, and um, you know I watched my mom being mocked when I was a kid. Um, we, you know, we lived overseas, and um, of course it hurt. But uh, but you know that that was that was people that were not Americans. Those those were, we lived in Turkey, and Germany, and Italy, and um, and it was you know I said they're not. My dad would say they're not U.S. citizens, so. You know, don't worry. Don't worry about what they think, because our, our country is the greatest, and uh, and so, you know, I get off on my soapbox on uh, start talking more and more about it. But it just it just hurts me to see this direction, especially what has happened the last you know three three and a half years. Well, I'll 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 say I totally agree with you. So. Um... Hopefully, change is coming. You know, and, and and you're a New Yorker. I am. <laughs> yeah, I am. Do you know where I was? Do you know where I was born? Where? West Point. Were you really? Nice. Poughkeepsie. Very nice. My dad was. In the, my dad was in the service. Now he wasn't a West Pointer, but he was. He was stationed there. Okay, and uh, he met my mom in '49, and they uh, they came back to the states, and. Um, um, when he came back and brought my mom, he was for, it went to West Point, and uh, that's where I was born. I have a younger brother, Arthur, who's a year younger than me, and that's the, the two of us were born there. So we, you know, people ask me where were you born? I said New York, and they, they find it. Aren't you from Hawaii? I mean, that's what they. <laughs> yeah, you know. I said no. That was just a wrestling. That was just a wrestling gig, man. That was that was just. Uh, you know, I had the Polynesian look, and that's how I got the steamboat name from uh, Sammy, Sammy Steamboat, who was a true Hawaiian, yeah. who wrestled down in Florida. 
for uh, Eddie Graham. Odd, odd question. So your 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 father met your wife. She's from uh, his wife. She's from Japan. Yeah. Um, one. Did your mom miss Japan? Like, did she want to go back um, after coming to the States? And two, did you ever have the opportunity to meet your grandparents when you were younger? No. Um, my mother's father died when she was, he passed away when she was young. I'm saying best that I can recall is that, you know, she was a teenager. Um, he was pretty high up in a company, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know the company, but uh, that company took care, my mom said, that company took care of, of um, what would have been my grandmother and uh, the family through the company. Uh, since uh, her father was pretty high up in a company and he passed away at a very young age, so they were taken care of. Now, um, I'm trying to remember the other part of your question. Did your mom want to go back to Japan at some point, okay. right? Was she homesick? All right. When they left, when they left Japan and then went to um, West Point, and I was born, um, the, right after that, they went to, we went to Italy. Now, during that move, my mother finds out later, way later, and I'll get to that, that her family moved from Kyoto to Tokyo. And during this time when my mom was with my dad in West Point, Italy, she did not know that the family moved. Now, my mom's last name is Ito, I-T-O. That's like the Smith and the Joneses over here in the States. <laughs> wow. You know, it's, uh, and so, um, my dad was trying to get in contact with my mother's family through the American Red Cross and through the Red Cross of trying to get to, uh, they over in Japan trying to get a hold of uh, family members, but they could never find because there were so many Itos, I mean, millions. So um, I told you, like, they left in 49 or 1949 or 50. And um, so we'll fast forward to the early 80s late 70s i was going over to japan and working with a promotion promoter over there called gianto baba and um i would go over there and tour for three or four weeks and then come back to the states and so in 1984 i, uh, I went over there about 13 times and 1984 i went over there and i um I asked the promoter, Baba, I said, would you mind if your announcers would, during my match, um, tell the people who's watching who I am and that I am in search of my mother's family. And um, my mother's name is uh, Takako Ito. And so he agreed. They made that announcement while I was wrestling. The very next day, a young Japanese boy, like a runner, came to my hotel room and he showed up and he says, we have big response uh, people last night. And I was so excited. I said, oh, really? You know, maybe this might be my mother's relatives. And uh, I said, how many, how many people? He said, we have 200 names. And I said, 200? 
So uh, my, uh, my mom's family can't have, you know, 200. Well, there were so many Itos, people were just saying, yeah, I'm related. But anyway, he, he said, what do you want me to do? So we're sitting in my hotel room and he had the list of names and the telephone number next to each name. And I said, would you mind maybe calling 10 people just to see what's going on? So he dialed the first number and it was, it was my mother's oldest brother. Mm. First name, what are the odds? Unbelievable. So, and I, I couldn't speak Japanese. I mean, I could do a little restaurant talk, maybe a little cab, you know, cab talk, how to get to the hotel, you know, maybe order some, you know, sushi or something. But uh, uh, I couldn't have conversation. So through the kid, and he was interpreting, and we, I said, uh, okay, we got to go on tour, and I won't be back to Tokyo for two weeks. I said, does he have any wedding pictures? Because I remember my mom and dad showing me their wedding pictures when they got married over there in, in Japan. He was a GI, you know, he had one stripe on his sleeve. And um, he said, yes, I have pictures. So after two weeks, we came back to Tokyo and he met me in the lobby and he opened up the album. And sure enough, there were the same pictures that I saw my mom and dad had. So he gave me his information, his, you know, address and phone number. And now, before I left on this tour, I never told my mom and dad that um, what I was going to try and do because my dad was so unsuccessful for, God, you know, this is from, you know, 49 to 84. You know, it was just, he tried and it just couldn't, couldn't make it happen for my mom. So when I went back and I went to my parents and I talked to my dad in the kitchen I said I got some information here this is this is mom's oldest brother <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't believe it and I gave it to my mom and she, there was I think a 12-hour difference in time between um, US and their uh, East Coast time so she called up the number and her brother answered and was talking you know, like 90 miles an hour in Japanese. And here's my mom. She could understand what he was saying, but she had a hard time replying because she had not spoken her language for 30 years. Mm. You know, it was, it was, she could just get out a few words here and there. And um, so I was going to go back over to Japan and do another tour about four or five months later. And Giant Baba arranged to pay for my mom's airplane ticket to fly from, they were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he flew her all the way from there to, to Tokyo. And we landed, we, we were waiting for our luggage. And off in the distance, people that would get their bags and go through customs and then go through these automatic doors that were opening up. And of course, those people, they might have had relatives waiting for them or friends. But I kept looking at the doors that were opening and I saw this one guy who just, every time the doors opened, boy, he was looking, he was looking, he was looking hard. And I said, hey, mom, next time those doors open, there's a guy standing on the left side that keeps looking real hard. And the doors would open and my mom saw him 
and now we're over way over on the other side of, the, of this huge area and and then the doors would close and then another pair of people would walk through the doors and they'd open up and then they would look and finally they waved at each other and she turned to me and she said that's my youngest brother his name is Duhay. so we grabbed our bags and went through customs and um and when the doors opened, uh, there she met with her youngest brother, first time in over 30 years. So he was taking us, he told us. My mom didn't even know, but she asked, is mom still alive? And, and, he, and he said, yes, mom's still alive. And I think at that time, mom was like 85, my grandmother, her mom. And so he took us, he, he said, mother is living with the oldest brother. That's, a, that's one of our cats there. Anyway, so we get to the house, and for the first time, her mother and her daughter embrace, and um, and that's the first time that she has seen her daughter in over 30-some years, and neither knew if, if one was dead or one was alive, you know, because for all those years, there was never any contact. So... Um, I got a ride. I said, okay, mom, you're going to stay here with uh, your oldest brother and your mom. I'm going to go back to the hotel. I got to go on tour. So I catch a cab and go back to the hotel and um, leave the next day, go to some city, wrestle, um, stay there that night. The next morning, I get a, I go down to the lobby to get a coffee and this Young boy comes up to me and says, um, uh, are you Ricky Steamboat? And I said, yes. Uh, you have telephone call. And I said, wow, this is odd. So I go over to the front desk and I pick up the phone and it's, and it's my mom. And she goes, she always called me Richie. She says, Richie? I'm I'm ready to go home now. Oh, <laughs> I said what? I'm I'm ready to go home now. I said, "What's up, mom? You only, it's only been one night. I finally finished argument with oldest sister, and now I'm ready to go home." <laughs> <laughs> See, her oldest sister never approved mom marrying a GI, you know, right after the Second World War, right? Right. Four or five years after. And, and I was saying, Mom, I said, I, I, I'm under contract. I have to finish this tour. I said, Baba paid for your airplane ticket, you know. Our departure date isn't for two more weeks. I said, you got to fix this. Please fix it. She's she's like, oh, okay, I I fix it for you. So I go on tour, wrestled, you know, two weeks, and um, at the end of the tour, back at the hotel there in Tokyo, and there is my my mom with all her brothers and sisters. There were six kids. There was like four four brothers and. And uh, there was two girls, so six kids, and they were all sitting in the lobby with my mom, and they met me, and um, you know she told me she says, "Yeah, we fixed it. Everything's good," you know. So that was uh, so when we left, and we're heading to the airport, 
to catch the flight back to the States. She looked at me and she says, I'm ready to go home. Amazing gift, though, you gave her, man. Think about that. It's an amazing gift you gave her. But, you know, real quick to her, U.S. was home. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, next news story, then we're going to get into a little bit of your career. Former WWE star Tammy Sonny Sitch gets 17 years in prison for deadly DUI crass. Former pro wrestler Tammy Sonny Sitch has been sentenced to 17 years in prison for drunkenly colliding to another car, killing a 75-year-old man with a blood alcohol level four times the legal limit. Thoughts on that, Rick? You know, I just, just vaguely just um, crossed that story the other day, so um, I, I really don't know the ins and outs of it. I remember meeting her, you know, at one time back in, in around, oh, I'm going to say like 07, 06, uh, I was an agent guy working with the WWE, and I think she was wrestling at the time, and, you know, and might have just run into her. I, you know, really can't say much because I, I, I really don't know her. Um, you know, obviously what she did was very wrong, but... Uh, you know, like I said, I just heard Wind of the Wind, the story came out a couple of days ago. Well, speaking of something like that, right? So obviously, no matter what forms of life, people people run into certain addictions and stuff. While you were wrestling, um, were you ever uncomfortable wrestling with a wrestler because you might know they were on some sort of substance? And again, I'm just a fan, and no. my question would be, like Saturday night's main event when you wrestle Jake and you get dropped on your head at DDT, which I'm assuming was actual concussion that you received and pretty dangerous. Yeah. Did you have concerns that was my call. with Jake? That was not, not when, uh, you know, him and I worked almost every night for, God, we had a good run for almost maybe a couple of months, you know, with I had the dragon in my corner this guy and uh he had that snake and we you know we we sold a lot of tickets there were a lot of curiosity seekers that wanted to come out and see what was going to happen during that match um i will say this that every time that uh, i stepped in the ring with jake roberts he was straight as an arrow and um you know what he did after hours was his own business but uh during the during working with me during that run um and i also worked with him when back in the day when there were territories and it was with uh, jim crockett promotions in the mid-atlantic region there north south carolina and virginia and he was working there at that time as jake the snake roberts uh, and i had worked with him there that he was he was always uh you know he was always on top of things he was never ever in a uh, bad way or you know couldn't get to the ring or stuff like that you know the horror stories that you hear later on but uh no i always uh i remember a comment he made and that was uh and it wasn't to me this was something like on air somewhere and he said when i found out that i was going to work with ricky steamboat you buddy you better get in shape so uh you know i guess he took a real serious point about working with me in the ring and 
God, we had we had some five star matches. Him and I. He was he was a great psychologist in the ring. He's one of the greatest I would consider in the business and knowing what to do, when to do it, and what what move to do and why you would do it into telling a story in the course of a match. And he was able just to on the fly, just be right on top of things. Boom, 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 boom. He was, he was a great worker to work with. Now what happened that night though, on Saturday night's main event, you know, millions of people watching this show, probably not the best yeah. time for something to go wrong. What did happen? Well, you know, I don't remember how the, you know, um, the talk came out about uh, DDT on the floor. And um, I'm, I'm thinking best of my memory, you know, this old noggin's been dropped a few times. <laughs> so um, I made the suggestion, and I know Vince was there. Uh, you know, they had those uh, cushion pads all around the ring. I said, you need to pull that, you, you need to jump me, beat me up pull the pad away, expose the cement floor, and and then DDT me on the cement floor. And Jake was like, no, no way. He said, it, it, it may kill you. And I said, I, you know, whenever you got DDT, you get your hand down there in time to protect yourself. So I said, don't worry, I'll, you know, I've taken your DDT. I said, I'll, uh, I'll get my hand down there and, you know, let's make it real. Well, <laughs> he went to DDT me and I didn't get my hand down there in time and it was real. Oh, mine, mine, it, it felt like a hand grenade went off of my head. And, um, you know, even to this day, he, he tells people, he says, yeah, Steamboat was knocked unconscious. I had to pick him up like a rag doll and drag him into the ring. And, and we've had talk about it, and we've had laughs about it. And I said, Jake, I was never knocked unconscious. I had all my faculties. I was limp because that's the way you're supposed to be if you ever get DDT'd on the floor. If the fans saw me help you pick me up, get to my feet, help you roll me in the ring, I don't think it would have the impact. So I went, I went like a limp noodle for, for the reason that that was what would happen if you, you know, really got, well, I really got DDT'd on the cement floor, but it, uh, I had all my faculties and I wasn't knocked out or anything. But, uh, you know, he thinks that, he, that I was knocked out because I wouldn't have, you know, I was, I was limp when right. he picked me up and wrote, tried to get me in the ring. He said, man, I almost dropped a nut trying to get you in the ring out there. Man. <laughs> 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 almost got a hernia. He's, damn. I said, well, that's, you know. You want it to be, you know, make it look real. That's 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 realism right there. But I, I was good. Yeah. Let me ask you this. My, so my own noggin, my own my own noggin uh, swelled up pretty bad, and, and and I didn't get black eyes till maybe about two days later when the blood finally started to move around. And uh, boy, I looked like Neanderthal man with my forehead stuck way out there, like you know. Yeah. Well, like worked that. worked pretty well. <laughs> How yeah. did you stay so unscathed in such a hard business? All the traveling, uh, you know, yeah. you know, people fall into drugs, things like that. How did you yeah. stay straight? Like, what was it that made you stay that way? You know, um, you know, I got, you know, bruised ribs and separated shoulders. Uh, um 
it wasn't until recently until you know i've had knee surgery i've had a knee replaced i've had my hip replaced i got a rod on my back you know and arthritis setting in all over the place but during the time when i was working i think i think one of the uh you know i i was always the guy that go to the gym and there was a lot of us you know maybe half of the half of the crew would find themselves going to the gym uh, every day but uh, i think one of the biggest things that was my saving and grace and not knowing at the time but i knew it was doing me some good is i would spend a lot of time stretching um, i would find a corner in the locker room or down the hallway or something and 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 just stretch and i could get to where i could almost do splits and um I would do this maybe a couple matches before my match was on and you know for 20 30 minutes you know break a sweat and get warmed up and you know and there was a lot of guys you know sitting in the locker room reading a magazine and they say hey bobby you're up and, and just get right up and go to the ring and i i just felt you know uh, i started doing it and in the, my rookie year and I just carried it forward all all those years to make sure I, I got a real good stretch and I felt limbered and warmed up in my joints and I think that that really saved me at what point do you get into bodybuilding and actively competing in bodybuilding that was in the late 70s uh, I always worked out and uh, I mean uh, I didn't start working out until actually I, I uh, made the decision to go to Minnesota. So about eight months prior of leaving and I, you know, going up there in November, uh, I, f I found a gym and I started working out, like I said, three times a week and then running on the beach three times a week. So, um, but then after that, I continued working out and um, I got to where I thought I was looking decent pretty good never on a national level but maybe on a state level so in the late 70s i um uh, just started doing some um uh, competing in local uh state and regional stuff you know maybe mid-atlantic you know it, it'd take in two or three states and uh north mr north carolina you know i won my weight class didn't win overall but uh i was in about five different bodybuilding contests uh, it was hard because I was still wrestling and you're on that real strict diet and you're watching your calories and you have no energy to get in the ring. And, uh, and the guys that I was working with at that time knew that I was going through that and then they were pretty much carrying me through the match. But uh, I, it was just a personal thing, maybe something on my bucket list that I just wanted to check off. I'm going to show you something real quick. Hang on. Sure. Just take me a sec. Mm. Actually, I'm going to... Uh, this is this is my what they call the, the um, um, man cave. Yep. <laughs> this, this right here. Let me just give you a real. This is in my office here. Uh -huh. uh, Got a virtual you tour a of the steamboat man yeah. cave. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then uh, over here the all the dolls and everything that they, you know, I, I don't know. They got about 15 or 16 Ricky Steamboat dolls, but I want to show you this piece. Okay. This trophy, right? This trophy right here. All right. I'm going to slide this over. I don't know if you can see this picture. 
Yeah, we could kind of see it. Yeah, absolutely. That's me. You know who this guy is? Is that Snooker, right? That's Snooker. How do you compete against the, Snooker? What is that all about? That we were at the WBBG Southern States. That was North and South Carolina contest. The judges brought the two of us out, out of all the contestants, to do a side-by-side because um, the points were so close. And at the end of the show, they gave me, uh, this is it right here. This is, they gave me the first place trophy. Amazing. And that was the uh, only time I, you know, Snooker was an animal. Man, he was, you know. And at that time, he probably was close to 40 years old. And uh, just a good fond memory of Jimmy. I always loved working with him in the ring. Everybody talks about Ricky Steamboat's arm drag, and I'll tell you a story of how I got that. But anyway, uh, Snooker was the best guy to feed me for the arm drag. He was the best guy to feed me for an arm drag. Wow. He was more of a – his body was like, you know, he was like a beast, you know, it was raw. I had more maybe like a pleasing physical look, pleasing to the eye, you know, more symmetric than uh, Snook, but uh, yeah, that was the only time we competed, and I, I, ner- I beat, nearly beat him by just a couple of points. Rick, and th- let me tell you the story. You know, you know who, you know who originated that arm drag. If you're familiar with my arm drag, I get way up in the air with the guy before I hook his arm. And everybody that worked with me knew. I said, you got to jump as high as up as you can and just do a forward somersault, and I'll hook your arm, and then we'll land together. Well, I stole that from a guy by the name of Jack Briscoe. Mm. Jack Briscoe originated that flying style of an arm drag. So I was, everybody thinks of Ricky Steamboat's arm drag, but actually Jack Briscoe was the originator. And you just, you just, you just improved on it, right? I could get up higher than Jack, I guess. Maybe, you know, a lot of, but truthfully, it, it just depends on the guy feeding you. If he can't get up in the air, you can't either, you know, because you're underneath him. If he only just gets up a little bit, you you can't get any higher. So, yeah, you know, that's a picture of me and Dory Funk. Yeah. You know, I was, I, yeah. I was listening to you speak if you, if about. You, if, if, you, if you look at the audience, that's in Japan. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I was listening to you speak about snooker. You know, you have your own family life, and I get that. How hard is it yeah. to lose these brothers throughout the years? Is it because oh, it's man, like your man. own little family? You know, your other family. Yeah. How difficult is that? Um, you know. I, to me, the, the only time when I felt that I was close to all the guys that I worked with in the ring was at the time that we were all together. And um, then I got away from the business, and then I got back in in about 2005, you know, working with Vince and being an agent, a road agent, and working with guys again. You know, but but this is just being mean, and I, I I hope it doesn't sound selfish, but it just when 
for me, when I uh, got away from the business, I just sort of wanted to be done with it. And then you just hear of who passed away or who is down and out or who is sick. And, you know, uh, I would have a moment or two. Um, but it, I don't want to make it feel like I'm heartless, but it's, it, you know, for me, it was a brotherhood during the active time. And everybody just sort of, you know, went their way as everybody uh, got out of the business and went their separate ways. I don't, I don't know of too many guys that kept in contact even after the years they were out of the business. Um, I run into them more at these convention signings, these these fanboys, um, and um, you know, and and have a moment. And of course, there's always an embrace and a hug, and it's good to see you. But, um, yeah. and it's just a few times they say, hey, are you staying at the hotel? Yeah, well, let's go down and have a beer. Okay. Uh, but, you know, for me, that was only maybe just a few times. And, and I've done a hundred of these signings around the country. So, it, you know, we're real close and tight at the moment, but I, I, I think it, it's, I don't know what the mindset is that, you know, one, once we're done, we're done. And I hate to make it sound like we're done with each other, but it, it, it isn't something where you go out of, I don't go out of my way to try and locate and find and, and correspond with uh, some of the fellow guys that I had great matches with. You know, uh, only, only really one guy that I sort of stay in tune with and I went to visit when he was down and that was Ric Flair. At one time he had that, when he was in the hospital in Atlanta and I was living in St. Pete, and me, and the, me and the wife, we jumped in the car and, you know, and I drove from St. Pete to Atlanta straight away. Uh, I left late in the afternoon, five or six o'clock, didn't get in until two or three o'clock in the morning. And then I was there at the hospital the next day at eight o'clock or something to meet with him. And he was in a self-induced coma and um, his wife, Wendy, was there, and uh, I was just sort of looking at him over his bed, and he all of a sudden, and this was, you know, they, they tell me this afterwards, this is the first time he woke up, and I'm looking at him, and he opened his eyes for the first time after being in a self-induced coma for a few days, and he looked up at me, and in the way Ric Flair would do it, he goes, Ricky Steamboat, unbelievable! <laughs> right out of a coma. <laughs> That's funny as hell, boy. So, Rick, you're gonna have to appease me now because now that rolls into this question. Since you're talking about Flair. Your name is synonymous with the greatest matches of all time. I mean, that's just another yeah. credit to your ability as the professional you are. Now, I know you do documentary. Undertaker, hey, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels had a hell of a WrestleMania match. They, they certainly did, yeah. but here's yeah. the question. You do these documentaries. One's on Flair. You talk about the trilogy. You talk how great that was. And then you do a documentary on Savage and obviously that WrestleMania three match, iconic. Yeah. Here's my question. To Rick Steamboat, which were the greater matches, the WrestleMania three Savage or your trilogy with Flair? 
Okay, I'm going to give you an answer, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm a politician. Um, if you want to take a raw match and put two guys in it, and the only thing they know about the match is maybe the last two or three minutes of the match, which would be the finish, that would be myself and Ric Flair, and that would, to me say that we were two consummate professionals. Now, I, I always mention the Savage match because to me, that was the hardest match for me to do. And it's because we didn't, Savage and I never had any matches leading up to WrestleMania three. I would like to have called them uh, tune-up matches. Savage was a different uh, psychologist in the ring and that would be he wants everything to be set up and lined up and you know when you have a tune-up match you could talk about some of the things you want to do in the match and then you go out in the live audience and some of these tune-up matches and see how what kind of response you would get from the from the crowd if it wasn't good when you got back to the locker room afterwards you say you know for the big pay-per-view coming up we're not going to do that spot because everybody just farted all over it so you'd have opportunities to put things together and savage and i never never had that but what made it difficult is that he wanted to have everything put down in on in stone you know in writing well it wasn't in writing he just wanted everything to be set up and from A to Z. And if in the middle of that match, they, uh, the fans were not buying it, it would be very difficult to change it and go to another different direction because he was so uh, steadfast on what the next steps were. You know, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. So, you know, Flair and I, we would we could work an hour and only go and and I would meet him in the locker room. I said, okay, all right, champ, you know, they want us to go 50 minutes tonight on a 60 minute time limit. What would you like the last three or four minutes to be? And, um, you know, I got a real quick story. If you want to hear it, we would, we wrestled in Charlotte, North Carolina, a couple of hundred times over the eight years that we were, I was there and he was there for maybe 10, but, uh, uh, we had wrestled at Charlotte, and we had done a, a couple of one-hour Broadways, which meant in the main events he had 60-minute time limits, and we had wrestled to a draw. And then we came back. To, they wrestled Charlotte every two weeks at the Big Coliseum. We came back two weeks later. We wrestled to another draw. So we're back two weeks later now for the third time, and George Scott, the booker, comes up to us. He says, okay, you guys have done a couple of one-hour Broadways. Ricky, if you don't mind, let's get Flair over tonight. But uh, let's let's uh, you know let's let's do it where he, he does something behind the referee's back and he steals the win, where the referee doesn't see that he cheated. I said, okay, no problem. And I looked at Rick and I said, what do you want to do? And he said, uh, when you start your comeback and when I feel it's right, I'll drop to my knees in the corner. I'll put my hands up like I'm trying to beg you off and you just charge me and at the last second 
I'll duck under and I'll grab the back of your ankles and I'll sweep your feet out from under you. You go flat to your back. I'll look at the referee and I, I'll tell him to get down and count. And the re there's a very important reason for that. Get down and count. And as he goes down to count your shoulders, that's when I'll put my feet up on the second turnbuckle to use it as leverage to hold you down. Now, the reason why he told the referee to get down and count is because he did not want to see the ref. He did not want to middle the referee or give him the chance, any kind of chance, that he would have caught a glimpse of Flair putting his feet up in the second turnbuckle to get leverage. So we when he told me that, how long did that take? Maybe 30 seconds? Mm. Now, George Scott, the booker, said, how about if you guys just go about 20, 25 minutes and, um, and then do the finish? And we said, great. So we go out there. And we, now, we had wrestled two 60-minute draws. We go out there and we start wrestling, and you know the announcer goes, 15 minutes gone, 45 minutes remaining, you know, and then 20 minutes gone, 50 minutes, you know, and so 40 minutes remaining, and so he, uh, so I look at Flair and I said, you ready? Because you remember the booker, George Scott, said go about 20 and then do the finish. And then at the 20-minute call, I looked at Flair and I said, you ready? He goes, not yet. <laughs> 25 goes, 30 minutes goes, he, 30 minutes gone, 30 minutes remaining. I looked at Flair and I said, you ready? He said, not yet. So now we're up to 45 minutes gone and 15 minutes re remaining. I said, are you ready? He goes, not yet. 50 minutes gone, 55 minutes gone, 56 minutes gone, 57, 58, 59 minutes gone, one minute remaining. I said, hey, asshole, are you ready? <laughs> he said, Ricky, start your comeback. <laughs> now, understand this. The fans in the Charlotte Coliseum, well, almost sold out, saw us wrestle to two one-hour draws, and now there's 59 minutes. With what? So what are they thinking? Oh, they're going to wrestle to another one-hour draw. I actually saw people starting to get up and leave. So I'm bouncing Flair all around this ring. I'm trying to cover him with everything that I know. And then with about 15 seconds left, the announcer goes, 15 seconds. He drops to his knees in the corner and puts his hands up to beg. And then I hear, 10 nine and i bum rush him he sweeps my legs out from under me he looks up at the referee tommy young get down and count and the referee turns and goes to count my shoulders he puts his feet up in the corner as the referee counts one two three the announcer's going five four three ding 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 two seconds left on the clock and they got one of those big basketball clocks that hang over the center of the uh, coliseum Two seconds. He rolls off of me, and he's laying on his back, looking up at the ceiling. I'm, st I'm still on my back, and I'm looking up. And he looks over at me, and he goes, wait for it. Wait for it. Because a hush came over the crowd. And then here it came. Flair, you no good son of a bitch. 
you cheat no good. And he looked over at me and he said, we got him. And he rolls out of the ring and he's hunkered down and he's running back to down the aisle to the heels locker room. And they're throwing so much crap at him. And he gets into the locker room. Now I get up and wave at the fans and they're saying, Ricky, you get him next time. You know, he cheated and blah, 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 blah. And I go the other way to the babyface locker room. I walk in then in the Coliseum around back, there's a hallway that goes around the building. So I go out customarily what you do is you go into the other guy's locker room and you shake his hand and you thank him for the match. And so I went in and George Scott is just berating flair. He goes, Oh, so you think you're the booker now? Huh? You want to call the show, right? I told you to go 20. You went 59 minutes and 57 seconds. And I told you to go 20. What the heck's the matter with you? And I, that's when I walk into the room when this action is going on. He looks at me and he says, Steve, get your ass over here. You're part of this too. So he's yelling at me and I don't say a word. And I walk over to the door, the door that you go out of the heels locker room that leads to the ring. I go open the door and I stand behind the door where the fans couldn't see me. And I'm looking at George Scott and I'm pointing like this. Listen to him, George. They're still screaming at him. They're still screaming. I shut the door and I said, that's all I got to say. And I walked out of the room. Hmm. 59 minutes Amazing. 57 seconds. So Timing. Would, would it be fair to say then the flare matches were your favorite? You see, that match was never televised. That was just a regular house match. Yeah. But working with him... And for us to feed off each other in the course of a match, do this, duck, you know, block my punch, kick me, you know. Um, but then Savage, everything was laid out, A through Z. You know, when we started talking, when I told Randy, I said, you know, we're not having any tune-up matches. He went, what? I said, Vince said, we're not having any tune-up matches. I, he said, I'll make, he said, we're going to make our debut day of the show. Well, we gotta we gotta start putting something together, damn. So we started meeting with each other whenever we could on the road. You know, I was doing the injury thing with my throat, and uh, uh, meet with Savage on uh, days we were shooting TVs, and and we started writing things down. And finally, we got I, I brought this yellow tablet, this legal pad, and I started. We got up to about a hundred and sixty something steps. And with each step, there was like three, four, five things to do. Like, you know, believe it or not, guess what step number one was? Step number one was lock up. And I said, Randy, we don't have to write down lock up because we know we're going to lock up. Write it down, Dragon, write it down. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. So number one, lock up. Number two, whatever, do this, this, and this. So after we got it all down, we would then quiz each other. And I would say, okay, Randy, step number 28 is this, this, and this. Tell me the rest of the match. Step number 30, blah, 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 blah. Step number 31, blah, you know, and then he would do me. He goes, okay, Dragon, number 67 is this. Tell me the rest of the match. So, you know, I think when we did that, it was so stressful to try and remember every single move and, and turn and, Turn to the right, turn to the left, 
block this, do this, you know, and then I think what made the match different because that was, you know, 1987, you know, an average match would have eight or nine false finishes. Okay. That's a, that's a one, two, and the other guy kicks out of it in an average match. We had 20, 20 false finishes. And you had to remember 20 false finishes in consecutive order. You had to remember it and both of you be on the same page on the same move. And um, plus all the other moves leading up to the false finish. And uh, there was two times. There was one time during that match where Randy had a brain fart, flatlined. Dragon, I'm lost. What are we doing? I, I started to rip off the next sequence. And he's, oh, okay, I got it. And then later on, I had a flat line. I said, Savage, I'm lost. And he would rip it off. And I said, I got it. You know, and we ended up. But, I, you know, when that match was over and um, I'm laying in the ring, I was so exhausted. I had not been in the ring for almost three months because of the injury thing that I wasn't supposed to be wrestling. I was so exhausted. I looked up at the top of the Pontiac Silverdome and I said, it is done. Mm. It's over. Um, a sigh of relief. It is over. I was actually looking up at God. And I was thanking him for it being over. It, it is done. What does Vince McMahon the, say to you after that iconic match? Um, you know, I, I don't remember. Okay. I remember getting to the locker room. And I, I, I almost passed out. I was so exhausted. I mean, there was a lot of people coming up and saying, what a match, you guys. But, you know, I honestly, you know, I honestly don't remember. Uh, we got pats on the backs and, you know, and, you know, I remember, you know, after WrestleMania, they have the big party, you know, the after dinners party there after the show and everything. And I remember sitting there and old timers like, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, Arnold Stolen, you know, you know these guys were old school, hard knocks, and um, you know shaking hands and giving me a hug and couldn't believe the match. Is it's how did you guys do that? But I've often said over the years the the consummate guy that that uh, I go to is, for me was Ric Flair because we could just say two or three things of special things we wanted to do in the match and then go out there and, and wrestle for an hour and all of it is just for the moment, called on the spot, feeling each other out, knowing that uh, what I was going to do next and he, he might have known that five moves back, you know, so... But, you know, the publicity that we got out of the Savage and Steamboat match, you know, that match, it was just off the hook. And, uh, you know, it was a one-off. And we were, able to, we were able to pull it off. And everything that we put in that match was strictly on our gut feeling because we didn't know each other in the ring. We didn't have any tune-up matches. We, we didn't know each other. But it, is so it there's, fair your diff there's your difference. Is, is, is it fair to me to say, though, that the paydays up north were substantially better than down south? That the what? 
the paydays were substantially better up north in the oh, yeah. WWE compared to NWA, WCW in the south. Well, it, that's it, yeah. And I'll tell you, I don't want to make it sound like a no-brainer. You know, when Vince, you know, decided to go coast to coast in, in all the major markets, you know, we're pretty much wrestling in venues that would seat 10,000, 15,000, you know, 20,000 people. So you're working off a percentage of the gate, the money taken in for the night, you're going to make more money. You know, working down in the Carolinas, we could have sold out uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, but the sellout was 1,200, you know? So, yeah, I, I personally, and I'm pretty much the other guys too, was when I started to work for Vince, with my my income, you know, doubled and sometimes almost tripled, but only because we were wrestling in venues that had three, four times the seating capacity. And don't forget about the merchandising too, right? You had tons of merchandise. That was yes, and for, right? yeah, and for yeah, and and for the first time, everybody was was picking up on on merch, which uh, was a first. You know, you getting a a check every quarter and uh, some, you know. It was uh, almost like found money, you know. Plus, I'm making, you know, making top money uh, working in the big, you know, big cities around the country, and then you're you're getting merchandise money too. So it was, uh, it was, it was very, very lucrative. So at some point, when you win the Intercontinental Title, being from up north, that was always yeah. the gateway to becoming the world champion, and. You know, God willing, if they were going to make you world champion, the money could have been really crazy. I know why they took the belt from you and why you 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 stepped away to be with your family. All right. All right. You, you tell me why, and I'll tell you if that's right. So from what I understand, you left. You were having a child. You wanted to take a couple yeah. of weeks off. And right. then they decided, for whatever reason, to take the belt off of you. Um, is that correct? That is, uh, when that angle with Savage and I came about in December of 86, and he came off the top rope with the belt, and then Vince says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the Intercontinental to you at WrestleMania three. I just told him, and I was being very upfront, I said, I just want to be upfront with you that I'm going to ask for two weeks off in July. I said, my firstborn, that's when it's going to happen. And I said, I've been on the road for, you know, at that time, it's been uh, 10, 10 years in the business and, you know, 300 shows a year. And I said, I just don't want to miss my firstborn. And he said, no problem. And um, so everything was going according to plan. And I, I, I think it might have been around eight weeks after WrestleMania, March, April, May, you know, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten weeks that on a TV, I was walking into the building and Vince said, Ricky, I need to talk to you. So I came over and he says, uh, we're going we're gonna to take the belt off you. You're going you're gonna to work with uh, Honky Tonk and uh, we're going we're gonna to put the belt on him. And I said, Vince, um, you know, when you told me you were going to drop the belt to me, I, I didn't say this a second ago, but I, I'll say it now. I said, you told me that I was going to have it for a year. And I was up front with you and said that I wanted two weeks off to to be with my firstborn in July. And, uh, 
you said okay and his response back was well i thought about it and we just can't have the belt dormant keyword there dormant for two weeks so uh yeah so i dropped the belt the honky tonk and i i think it was within the that same evening that i went to vince and i said uh remember in July when I wanted two weeks off? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I'm taking six months off and I'm taking it now. And I walked out. Mm. That's a gutsy <laughs> move. That's a gutsy move. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, just, I'm looking at, you know, what's, what is right is, you know, and what's wrong, you know. I know you know, there's politics, right? There's politics yeah. in every, every walk of life. But this just wasn't right, you know. As, as you know, him being a dad should understand. And as hard as all of us work on the road and being gone away from families, and I just wanted two weeks to be with my firstborn and say, I, the reason why you can't leave the belt dormant for two weeks, it was, it, it was, it, hurt, it, it, it made me so mad and upset. I didn't show it to him, but it, 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 it was more of a hurt as hard as we all work. And then I couldn't have this once in a lifetime opportunity to be with a child that's being born. You know, it just didn't make sense. But, you know, it's politics. Well, speak, speaking of your child, how's your relationship with your son now? I know he tried his hand at wrestling and had an injury. Yeah. How's he doing? Um. You know, his back's never the same. He herniated four deaths, but he's very fortunate that um, he found a girl and um, he knew her, oh God, through family relation and friendship. Uh, you know, they we got pictures of them when they were like five years old. Two little kids, right, running around. And... Uh, and then they remet, you know, like maybe 15 years later and started seeing each other. And this, Richie was into wrestling and going through the school and in uh, Tampa, the first, the first WWE school in Tampa. And then uh, he got hurt and she was going to college uh she was going to law school and uh they found they found a way to make make it through and then she turned out to working for a firm going out on her own starting her own law firm and they have now got four kids three sons and a and a, and a daughter and during this time he has decided and accepted the fact to be a stay-at-home dad which uh, i was happy to hear uh, especially in the you know this day and age where at least you have a parent at home and uh, they got sort of like a farm with goats and pigs and and she's doing very well with her law firm and and he's doing a great job with the kids being a stay-at-home dad so you know all in all, I, I, I truly believe it came out for the better. Don't know what the business would have done to, the, done with, to them with him being gone 300 days a year on the, on the circuit.
a lot of blessings there. All right, Rick, you've been with us a while. I want to thank you for joining us. One last question. In your storied career, I asked Ricky Steamboat, if there's one regret in your wrestling career, what would that have been? Um, Walking out for six months. I could have just stuck with the plan and taken my two weeks and been a, a, a yes guy, you know, and uh, I, I think that really it set me back for a while. I felt it was justified, but then, you know, when you're thinking about pride and how hard you've been working and all that you did for the company and then you feel like you got uh, shafted in a very, very wrong way because it was dealing with family. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, emotions overtake. You better just think this out first before blurting it out on the very same evening that you're taking six months off and see you. You know, I I think I should have taken a moment and thought things out. And, and if I know I, knowing me, I probably wouldn't have done that if I would have just taken a few days and, Calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pride's a tough thing, man. Pride could get in the way of a lot of yeah. stuff, that's for sure. But we learn as we go on, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I guess and, I have and, one more that, question for that, you. Go and, and, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your go thought. Ahead. No, I was just saying that that lesson is, uh, has helped me later in life to, before being uh, quick, uh, making un, unrational quick decisions to, to take a moment, and you notice that when you asked me that question, I didn't have a hesitation on giving you an answer because there was a, there was some really tr- truism behind it that it was a lesson that taught me that I learned from and and try to carry it forward today. You know, try and don't let your because emotions it could be the devil on your shoulder and you're, you're looking over on your shoulder and he's saying, you know, do it, do it, right. Right, and you got to say no. Let me let me have a moment here, you know. So that's what it taught me. Well, we all learn lessons, right? That's what life's about. (laughs) With that being said, I personally, and I'm sure everybody else, wants to thank you for all you've done for wrestling fans out there, the years and years of enjoyment. And on a personal level, I want to thank you for taking the time out and coming on this show. I know you're a busy man. Yeah. And I just want to personally thank you. Thank you for all you've done, sir. Well, you know, I, I get, I get, I get a lot. Of, I get that a lot. And, and believe you me, um, it's uh, very appreciative. I somehow, some way feel that when I do these uh, conventions for me, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say thank you back to the fans that came out to support me and support the business. You know, uh, it's, I feel in some way, even though, you know, they may be buying an eight by 10, but in some way I feel like, um, I want to say thanks for, you know, for, for being here because, you know, bottom line is because without them, we, we wouldn't have what we have. And, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very comfortable now. And, uh, and it's all because of people coming out, and uh, 
wanting to be entertained. And you know, at the time that I was wrestling, that was one of my major focuses is that uh, I wanted to make sure that the fans um, at the end of the night, my goal was to have the match of the night. And it didn't matter if I was in the ring with Jake Roberts, Ric Flair, you know, Rick Rude, Greg Valentine, you know, Macho. It didn't matter. I wanted to have the match of the night. And, uh, you know, I, I, I poured it out and gave it my all every single night, you know, wrestling in front of 12 people. <laughs> One time it was me and, and Shane Douglas against Steve Austin and the late Brian Pillman up in a, I think it was Fancy Gap, Georgia, and a snowstorm had come in. And during the intermission, they told the people, well, if you think you're going to have a hard time to get home, you better leave now. And we had a, it was a small armory, sold out. And when the four of us, we were the only main event after the intermission, one main event. When we went out, the front row was the only people there. You know, like maybe 12 people on each side, 40, 50 out of, you know, there was a 800 or 1,000 in this armory. And uh, any given night, any other wrestler other than us four would have went out there and wrestled five minutes and then called it a night. But we went out there and went almost 30 minutes, which is the front row sitting there and gave them a hell of a show because we wanted them to go home and tell everybody that walked out the next day or the next days that they missed a hell of a match between the four of us. And so, you know, I always wanted to put out and make sure that the people got their money's worth and that we walked away with the match of the night. Good, good stuff. Uh, real quick, <laughs> Jason Morning wants to know, do you still practice blowing fire? I chief no. <laughs> um, whew, that was uh, you know I was I was taught by a guy in Florida named Brian Lapalm. It was one of those little parking lot Walmart circuses, small you know. And uh, he used kerosene, and that was kerosene I put in my mouth hmm. every night to blow that fire. And. Uh, Real quick story, uh, I went uh, uh, some uh, mid-Florida, maybe near Orlando, he was set up and he was uh, through the company, the WWE, they, they found him and he said, yeah, I'd be happy to teach Ricky. They went to Barnum and Bailey and the, their fire breather said, no, I don't want to give away my secrets. So they found this little circus company in Florida and Brian LaPalm and we're out in the parking lot and he's telling me, uh, now the big top, their tent, wasn't fully up. It wasn't erected yet. So he said, well, Ricky, be aware that whenever you do it outside and you have your torch, hold it up in the air and always look at the flames and see which way the flames are going. That'll tell you the wind direction. And make sure that the wind is coming from your back so that the wind is blowing away from you. So he fills his mouth up with kerosene. He holds the torch up. And just as he puts it to his mouth, the wind shifted. And as he's spraying the torch, 
the wind is blowing the kerosene on his face. Mm. And now I'm looking at a 12-year veteran running around this parking lot with his face on fire going, ah, ah, ah. And uh, they sent an office boy down. And I looked over at him and I said, you see that guy running around, you know, running around like with his face on fire? I said, you call Vince and say, tell him I ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Look at this. And so he, Brian LaPalme comes running back up to me, and he said, no, 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 no. It's just superficial. It's like a bad sunburn. It's, I'm okay. <laughs> so he said, come back tomorrow when the big tent is, is done, and we'll do it indoors. And I came back, and he started with, a, you know, like a little shot glass of kerosene. And then it went on to larger, you know, almost like a cup. Fill, enough to fill your whole mouth out and blow the fire out. And uh, but there, there's a yeah, there's a fire breathing story there with a veteran, twelve years of doing it, is running around with his face on fire. I could, the next morning when I showed up, he's in his little Scotty trailer. It's these little mini trailers you tow behind your car. And I knock on the door, and he shows up, and he's got these big water bubble blisters oh, boy. on his face. Yep. And he's standing there, and all of a sudden, he's taking his fingers, and he's popping them, pop, 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 you know, and the, the water, is just, oh. and he's laughing. He did it as a joke. And that was, I had another moment where I turned to the guy that the office sent down, and I said, I ain't doing it. Look at him. <laughs> so, you sure I mean, will stay boat. Yeah, the eye, yeah, eyebrows were gone. No, but this was a fair-skinned redhead guy that was teaching me how to blow fire. So you can imagine how bright red his face had just, uh, it just was like yeah, a bad sunburn. Anyway, that's my fire-breathing story. And a hell of a story it was. Thank you again, <laughs> sir. Have a great yeah. weekend, and thank okay. you for everything, and thank you for being on Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. All right, appreciate appreciate your show, and I appreciate what you do. You're, well, you're a stand you up you're a stand up guy. You really are. You well, know, I appreciate what, what that, you sir. Do. Yeah. God yeah. bless. God bless. Thank you. All right, guys, the great the great Ricky Steamboat. What an honor. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. He was fantastic. What'd you think there, Ab? That was amazing. That was a really good story about um. You know, him going to Japan and finding, like, his, his mom's Dude, family. Dude, how, how amazing was that? that I mean, was one of the craziest All stories. I was thinking, like, man, I wish I could have done something cl remotely close for my mother like that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, just, like, to have that many people reach out to you and you still are able to find the people. And you, she got to meet him. It was, it was great. That was a great story. You know what's amazing? You, you always hear how great a guy he is, and even in the wrestling world, what a great guy is. Unbelievable guy. Great storyteller. Amazing person. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining me. We love you all. We'll see you next Thursday. Abe, we'll see you next Thursday. Absolutely. All right, guys. Love you all.
Ladies and gentlemen, Abe's Abe, hand. Abe on camera. Abe's hand on camera. No, I'm not shaking it. Hold on. They're very salty hands. Just really? so you know. Hey. <laughs> Bend these fingers. Bend these fingers. Icon Terry Runnels, how are you? Um, I love the two claps. So one day this anchor came in. Her name was Susan Lasovich. I love you to this day, Susan. Um, and so I'm washing her hair in one of the basins. And I'm like, who's in charge of makeup at CNN? And she's like, oh, her name's Ramona Horton. I didn't say this to her, but this is what I thought. I'm like, great bitch. Thank you so much. I got this from here on out. Enjoy your shampoo. So, ringy dingy dingy. Mm -hmm. Not a cell phone. Ringy dingy dingy. Ramona Horton. Yes, this is she. Hi, this is Terry Boatwright. Um, I would love to get an interview with you. She's like, I'm sorry, we're not hiring. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, that happened maybe 25 times in one month. Bitches on it, right? She's like, I ain't going to take no for an answer. Finally, she goes, oh, my God, just come in for an interview. I'm like, we could have solved that three weeks ago if you would have just said those words, right? right? Yeah. Anyway, I get in there, and she's, like, very, very harsh with me. She's like... This is Patrick Greenlaw. He's going on air right now. Do his makeup. You've got 60 seconds. Do it. I jumped. I did my thing. He went out to the studio. She said, you're hired. Nice. Um, that's how I got my job at CNN. And then from working for CNN, because I was the low man on the totem pole, I did makeup for wrestling on the weekends. And then one thing led to another. And... Ole Anderson wanted me to be this character. I had nothing to do with the character except for her name, which I thought Alexandra York sounded very snotty um, and very foo-foo-y. And so that was the only thing I had to do with that character other than being her. Um, I did not create her. So, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oliver Stone. You ready for that one? Why not? I, it, you think it, I'll remember 20 minutes from I now? I know, but I'm going to be very loquacious when I start into loquacious. this. Loquacious. Abe! Forget you got a on you. Loquacious. Can you the help them out? The hell is loquacious? Quickly. Abe, yeah. seriously, can you help them out? Come on, Abe. Look up the word. I dare you. He doesn't even know how to spell it, I'll bet you. Loquacious. I, no, I want... You want me to say it? Yeah. Loquacious. Tending to talk a great deal. Oh. Talkative. Oh, wow. really? Yeah. yeah. So are you trying to say that my no. wife is loquacious? Oh, Jesus. She and what I do you, both uh, do you are. want to go home tonight? What are you doing? Oh, she and I both are very loquacious. You are. Wow. You're like, yes. you're like twins. Yes. Yes. What? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. It's so it's, it's, like... clear, it's clear to say that you don't read Gorp, Gorp, Gorp Grappler. 
Not at the not at the crayon crayons in the coloring in page books two, either. It, I guess. In page two, it says what? The cat is blue. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. Uh, no, I don't think so. Todd is God. This is kind of simple too. <laughs> Tell you the truth. So I've moved to Washington D.C. Um, I'm going to give a little Larry King prior to Oliver because it's all in the same story. Okay. Mm -hmm. CNN, again, I was there when it was in its inception. Mm -hmm. And then they needed me in Washington, D.C. Well, that was where Larry did his show. Okay. So um, I actually had to go into the studios at 5 in the morning there, mm -hmm. do the anchors, they had no other anchors or anybody else during the day, so I would immediately go home, and then at nighttime, I would go back in to do Larry King and any of his guests that he had, right? And so, um, <laughs> so my first night there, um, I, I, I think it was, um, hold on, it was, a, it was one of those funky preachers, hold on, Oral Roberts. Oh, Oral okay. Roberts. So Oral is the um, the guest, and you know it, Larry is the host, and so I go in to do a touch up on Larry, and um, he says, "How do you think I look?" <laughs> Jesus Christ! And, and like a I, mummy with spectacles. And I said one word. I said, "Health." Because I was trying to, I was trying to come healthy? up with something that wouldn't be offensive. Because the healthy. guy looked pasty as, f and like he was on his last leg. And, <laughs> Even and, then. And the only word I came up with, because I was brand new, this was like my first or second healthy. night. I was like, you look healthy. Oh boy. And later on, I learned oh, that everybody in the control room fell out of their chairs and were f like yeah. just dying. Yeah. And um. Yeah, so oh after God. that, I would do his makeup every night, or during the week, every night. And then he would be trying to eat when I was doing his makeup, and I'd be, like, moving, like, chicken fried rice off just oh. so I could, like, finish his makeup and stuff. Oh. But the funny, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me with him. So when you're in a TV studio, as we are, um, there are edit bays. Right? Edit bays, edit bays, edit bays, edit bays. And so he came in very late for the show. And so they're like, he's in edit bay six. You know, go do his makeup. So I run down, because everything's live, right? I run down, and I'm trying to do his makeup. And he goes, this is so sick. So I go in there, and I'm doing his makeup, and he's like, Terry... I'm sexy tired. What'd he say? Exactly. That's why I said it quietly, because that's what I thought was like, what the f***? He said, he said, Terry, I'm sexy tired. Ew. And I said, what in the f*** does that mean? Well. Mm, I'm not and he that. said, you know, I feel sexy, but I'm tired me 20 days to Sunday. <laughs> so the moment has finally arrived that you knew eventually was going to come, I'm It was assuming. rotten and Ew. gross. It is now here. But the last one was when, when Ted Turner wanted to do the Goodwill Games, I called Larry at his house, and I said, Lair, 
um, I really want to be the key makeup artist on, you know, for these games. He goes, ah, I just had a dream about you on a train. Oh, God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait. Oh, thank God I didn't eat like, before I came like, here. He's like, if you'll take care of me, I'll take care of you. Wow. And I, and I literally said to him, dude, golf, clink. And that was like way before cell phones. And so, wow. Yeah. yeah. So that's my Larry King story. So that's the end of Larry King. Off to wrestling we go. Very but he, nice. They recently had that Dusty Rhodes documentary. Mm -hmm. And this is how I felt. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. I'm just going to ask you the question. They seem to kind of put up or present it that the falling out between Dustin and Dusty were over you. Is that accurate? And can you elaborate on it? Um, yes and no. So... The, the the way this story goes and what happened actually is um, I was in wrestling before Dustin was. Most people think I got my position based upon me dating Dustin. I was in that way before he was. Even though his dad was in it, it was a likely, you know, thing for him to progress to. He was still a little young punk in Texas and was not a part of it when I broke in the business. The way we started was, I was out in Phoenix, and um, I was the makeup artist. I was not yet Alexander York. Um, I don't think I was, anyway. Um, but, uh, Tony Schiavone, I forget who all was in the like van that was like a, a an extended van with extra people you know like not a small one and um i had been on the the deck of the hilton phoenix drinking with with dusty and uh um janie and the background is the hills of phoenix beautiful like like pink and blue color, it just beautiful. And Dustin pulls up in a cab with his golf clubs and he gets out and he comes over and I, I don't know what happened to me, but all of a sudden I was just like, he's kind of cute. He is kind of cute. So that night, like just a few hours later, he was in the van with us, we went to go eat and he said, um, I'm going to blow this pop stand, basically, and, you know, go hang with the boys. And I said, no, you're not. You're going to stay here with me, and we're going to, like, have a great night. So he stayed in the van with me, and then when we came back, um, the first and the only time I've ever had tequila was that night. And... Um, I forget how many shots of tequila I took, but I do remember this. He got me to my room. He put me under the covers. He was very kind, very gracious. Um, he did not do anything inappropriate. And the next morning, I remember calling him and saying, I need toothpaste because <laughs> I couldn't find mine. And he brought it down. And then we, we fly back home from Phoenix to Atlanta. And he sends me this piece of paper through several people. Like, can you pass that to the, pass that, pass that down. 
pass it down, pass it down. So I finally get this little document, and it says, will you go out with me uh, on a lunch date? And so I wrote back, nope, unless you ask me personally. Hold up, send back. So he asked me out properly. Will you go to lunch with me? The day that we landed, we went to lunch together. He said, would you go to dinner with me tonight? I said, I will. Second day, lunch. Second day, dinner. Third day, he just moved in with me. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it was like a very... Uh, I, I, I mean, Dustin, Dustin has grown into his skin because he's so amazing and, and precious and wonderful. But back then, he was just a very insecure, you know, like I was just telling someone about like Barry Wyndham saying, yeah, she fucked all the boys. Fuck you. If, 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 if I did that, I'll grant it to you. I'll, I'll give it to you on a silver platter. Um, the night that I told Dustin I'm done was he came home because I didn't do um, TVs at all. So he came back and he said, oh my God, I told him at the beginning when we started dating who I'd been with. Right. And I wanted to be very honest and upfront and, you know, this is who. And he came, he came to my house and he goes, uh, I can't believe you didn't tell me that you f Jake the Snake Roberts. I said, are you fucking kidding me? He goes, no. I, they told me you f I said, not only have I not Jake the Snake Roberts, I've never even met him in the flesh. I've never shaken his hand. I've never looked in his eyeballs. Nothing. So you got a choice to make right here and now. Do you want to believe all this bullshit that the boys are trying to fuck you over with and like rave you with? Or do you want to believe me? He was like, okay, I believe you. And you know, like it was so many years later before I ever even met Jake the Snake. And... But that just told me where Dustin's mindset and, mm. and, and like, the levels in, in which he was. Mm. So I, I, I think he's much wiser, wiser, wiser now. But either, either you trust what I've told you and whom I've been with, or you trust the boys that are... So do you think Dusty, who trusted the boys, was like, Dustin, what are you doing with this woman... So we're in the um, Austin, Texas airport. He's brought me to meet his mom. Um, of course, I've already met Dusty because I'm in the business. And um, we had a great time. Like, it was a great visit. It was wonderful. Dustin's mom just passed in the last year, which is terrible. But um, she was always so funny and sweet and whatever. But... We go to the airport in Austin to fly back to Atlanta, and Dustin doesn't hear this, but I do. Uh, Dustin Runnels, please go to the nearest, uh, I don't know, what do, you, what do you call the gimmicks? Like, a hotel, not a hotel, an airport. Like a... Like a phone where, yeah. where somebody needs to tell you they're there or whatever. Like an intercom. Yeah, anyway. Okay. So I, I'm like, Dustin, I think they just said your name. 
He's like, what, what, what? I'm like, dude, I, I think that they just said your name. Like, go find a phone and tell them, you know, you're here. The minute he came back, he answered the phone. He had a conversation. The minute he came back, he looked at me. He goes, don't talk to me. I said, excuse me? Don't say a fucking word to me. I cried from Austin to Atlanta. And um, he, he said to me, he goes, my dad told me, you're, you're after my money. And, and the irony is, at that moment, he had not even paid an ounce of taxes. I owed no one anything. I had money in the bank. He didn't have fuck all. But yet, his dad told him, she's out for your money. So, I'm not one to back down. And, um, you know, I just said, Dusty, um, you f***ed up. You said and done the wrong thing. And, um, you know, I'm here to help your son, not hurt him. But, yeah, that was, and there's a, a way bigger story to that as well. But, yeah. But um, you confronted Dusty and said, Oh, I didn't have a, a problem, no problem with Dusty. Wow, look yeah. at you. I nice. was like, dude, dude, I love your son. I love your son with all of my heart. Mm. I am not trying to hurt him. I'm trying to help him. Right. And don't you dare. And then, oh, then he, then he said, because I was good friends with Stan Caston, who was the first person to ever um, be a, a manager of the Atlanta Hawks, Braves, and Thrashers. First person ever to do that. Stanley and I were great friends. Um, and so Dusty said to Dustin, <coughs> she's Stan Caston. Another one, yeah. Mm. And I was just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta pick. Because I can't keep doing this. You know, I told you who I was with. I told you my history. And if you don't believe me, I need you to go. So Dustin, Dustin chose you. Yes, until I didn't choose him. <laughs> No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. That's fine. Did you ever make peace with Dusty, or was it just basically mm. like, you know, go F yourself or, you know, no, permanently? No, or? I really appreciated the, the grandfather that he was to Dakota. Like Dustin's character was this old-school actor, remember, at, mm -hmm. the, at the beginning? He yeah. was an actor and all this stuff. Yeah. And, which I just found not plausible. Um, so this is maybe... Three months after Dustin signs with Vince to okay. do Gold Dust, and I came up with th this idea to have this old school, very elegant, you know, old school um, actress. I, I would smoke a cigar because I smoked cigars in real life, so I thought, you know, great write-off tax-wise. <laughs> <laughs> get some like, free cigars, nice. I was like, pretty smart, you know. Um, so every single thing that there has been about Marlena was me. Everything that has been about Alexander York was not me except okay. for her name. So, um, but, but anyway, so yeah, I, I just, I was in the tanning bed in our basement. Dakota's like a year and a half old. And um, I just, I don't know why. I just started like reciting stories in my brain and you know 
they need this, they need this, they haven't done that, they haven't done that. And so I called Dustin, and I'm like, dude, like, this is my idea. What do you think of it? And, like, at, at the time, Dakota's like a year and a half old. I don't want to go on the road, but it was just something that compelled me to think about what they were missing. Mm -hmm. So um, I told it to Dustin on the phone. He was on the road, and he's like, I love it. I said, okay, call Vince and, like, let me know what happens. Well, Dustin was scared to f death to call anyone in any kind of hierarchy above him. He goes, no, no. If you want to do this, you're going to call Vince yourself. I was like, I don't have a problem calling Vince. I give Vince called. <laughs> Love the phone. Running. All of a sudden, <laughs> Pat Patterson answers. Uh-oh. And I said, Pat... Um, it's Terry, and, um, you know, I just came up with an idea that Dustin wanted me to express to Vince, and Pat goes, thank you very, very much, we're not interested, and clink, I'm like, really? Know? Yeah, yeah, but I was, like, cool with that, because I was, like, it was just an idea that I had had, mm -hmm. like, laying in the tanning bed, like, no big deal. N nothing. You know, I mean, but I was. Was happy. it honestly that quick? You know, we're not yes. interested. Yes. Wow. wow. Yes. But I, I was happy surprised. being a mom, and I didn't need anything else. You know, so I was fine. I was done. That okay. was good. Whatever. And so then, in uh, what year? Ninety-five. Um, I was at my grandparents' farm. You know, I'm wearing overalls. Dakota's wearing overalls. Like, Santa's coming tomorrow morning. Dad's not here, but Santa's coming and whatever. And all of a sudden, Dustin called me. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here at Granny and Granny's house. He goes, pack your bags. They want to do your idea. Which still to this day gives me chills because... Every single thing that you see about Marlena was here. Nobody else ever, it, I, as much as I love Pritchard, I swear to God, I, I heard one of his, like, seven-hour podcasts on Dustin. He's like, yo, Vince created Marlena. Vince didn't create all of Marlena. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. He might have created his own beautiful dick to someone else, but he didn't create Marlena to me. And I love Vince, and I always will, because he's been good to me. But, um, yeah. So, did I just get nasty? I think I, I you got a little nasty. Yeah, a little, little wee. A little right. wee bit. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. Well, was Vince pleased? Obviously, Vince was pleased. So, here was my thing. When I went to the ring, I said to him, Either I'm going to carry a glass of wine mm -hmm. or I'm going to carry a cigar. Mm. And he said, go with the cigar. But don't light it early. Light it right before you're at a gorilla. Wow. Nice. And then that showed up on Cigar Aficionado. There you go. I'm like, bitch, you didn't want me to light the cigar until I, like, right before I went out on gorilla. But yet now you're on... Say what? Anyway. All of Vince's issues that he had recently. He's had great life, obviously. Yes. Were you, uh, were you surprised by that? Yes. yes. Really? Really? Mm. Okay. Mm. I'll tell you why. 
Um, he's always been very um, common sense, functional, like not like right. Not like uh, Larry King. Not like. <laughs> <laughs> thank gotcha. you. Very, very Nailed good, it. like, interlude into that conversation. Thank yeah. you. Um, but, like, like he just has never done that to He's me. Never saw signs of it uh, no. in the locker room? No, and the weird, I'll give you another weird okay. scenario. Um, Jerry Lawler. Hornier and up mm -hmm. more than anyone I know has never, ever made me feel uncomfortable mm. in his presence. Mm -hmm. On the day that that happened, where she left Paul, mm -hmm. um, she believed with every ounce of her being that she was going to be his wife, mm. um, and she was going to be the top dog in our business. And then in one fell swoop, she found out that he was Stephanie. Mm. And her world went from 100% everything's going to be great going forward to holy f what do I do? Shadow. And I will never forget we were, in a, we were in a locker room together, just she and I. I said, what the f and she said to me, she goes, um, yeah, he's been f***ing Stephanie. And uh, I, I told Vince I was going to f***ing kill her. Really? Yeah. And she goes, that's why I don't have a job anymore. 